I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom, zero degree nothing, bionic. Oh, I think you're a little harsh on yourself there. Although in this case, I'm... I think I'm glad you, you're that. <laughs> I don't think I'm being that harsh. I'm Ladies and gentlemen, it's glad to, it's great to be back with you for another Future Quake show. This week's going to be a little different. Uh, we had a special guest that was arranged for this week, and uh, due to some circumstances after the original arrangement, um, they weren't able to be with us. It was a rather big name person, but we still feel it's extremely important to talk about their new book out. Uh, we're going to be talking about a new book out by a gentleman by the name of Michael Bajant who is one of the top uh, authors, top-selling authors in the country, in the world, excuse me, uh, talking about his new book, Racing Toward Armageddon, The Three Great Religions and the Plot to End the World. And we not decided, a book about NASCAR. No, it's not about NASCAR. But uh, we decided that it would be best just for you and I to chat about the contents of the book. Indeed. And uh, you're going to find a lot of information in here that, as evangelical listeners, is going to be very frustrating and disconcerting to you, particularly if you get the book. Mm -hmm. But inadvertently, there are tucked in there some things that are maybe uh, some accidental insightful comments that an outsider looking in the evangelical world gives us some food for thought. Mm -hmm. So we'll encounter both in this discussion, Mm -hmm. but we've got a lot of information to cover, and I want to read a few little excerpts along the way for you and I to chat about. Okay, great. So I think it'll be an interesting time Mm -hmm. for us to talk about. Um, Can you share a little bit about what you've known about him in the past? Well, he was a, uh, uh, he is a high-level Mason, of course, uh, uh, the 32nd or 33rd degree uh, publicly. I don't know if he's ever admitted to being a 33rd degree Mason, but he's a, uh, as far as I know. I think he's he's one of the highest levels in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I've come across, but I couldn't find a well, definitive. Yeah, one of his title. He is the editor of Freemasonry Today. I was getting there since okay. April 2000. Sorry, it's and okay. Grand Officer of the United Grand Lodge of England. So I'd say that's pretty high. He's probably like 38 or something. Yeah, he's like double 96 over the over the moon. He yeah. also has a master's degree, interestingly enough, in mysticism. Yeah, I thought that was. I don't. Not quite sure what that's about. Right now, a lot in our audience have that degree. Mm, no. He's also the trustee of the Canonbury Masonic Research Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a native of Great Britain. Um, but what would you say he's best known for? A book called Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Right. Holy and, Blood uh, and Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. There was. He also did a lecture series in the 70s trying to uh, uh, refute some of the claims of Jesus uh, using documents that are not now available. Right. Yes. That's right. Well, now um, this book, The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail, it and he wrote that with a gentleman by the name of Lincoln and another gentleman by the name of Lee. I think their mm-hmm. last names. Correct. Um, it was really the foundational work. I call it quote nonfiction, but uh, it was the foundational work that uh, purported to to push forward this alternative theory that Jesus really didn't die on the cross, Mm -hmm. that he married Mary Magdalene. Mm -hmm. They moved to the south of France, sired a lineage Mm -hmm. that became the Moravian kings. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's why they, even to this day, they have some weird biblical things in their their history, such as the bumblebee and 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the history of the Morvingians, which is real, the history is real, uh, is bizarre. It's just the, the significance of their whereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they also claimed, and anybody who's listened to the Da Vinci Code or watched it or read the books mm-hmm. is familiar about these claims that uh, the the early Gospels that were Gnostic Gospels were the real thing, mm-hmm. that really talked about God being within you, not an external God. And very, the, very new age. Right, and that the Catholic Church tried to uh, shelve those Gospels and instead purported the ones that we have now about the deity of Jesus mm-hmm. uh, back to the Nicene Councils and things. And per my understanding, uh, real Bible scholars have thoroughly debunked the history of, of these claims. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any... But I, the, I, I, I would hate to say they're completely baseless, but right. sort of... Pretty much. If the shoe fits. But they... Um, they really sparked interest, particularly in a world that wants to move beyond traditional religion and generic spirituality. It gave mm. them fodder mm. to pursue this as an alternative without having to dig too deeply. And I'm sure you've seen a lot of things on the Internet and YouTube and things where people have built on this. Yes. And you've seen things like Zeitgeist and stuff like this come out that talk mm-hmm. about this big fraud mm-hmm. that have been perpetuated. But without his work... There really would have been no Da Vinci Code or other Dan Brown. Yeah, work. he even gets a he even gets a cameo mention, I think, in one of Dan Brown's yeah, books. That's right. Recall. That's right. A couple other things mentioned. You know, he's one of the top people in Freemasonry, like we've established. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things he was presenting, I believe, was called the Jesus Papers, yes. exposing the greatest cover up in history. And again, like you said, it's based on documents that he claims are now unavailable for anybody to mm-hmm. to see. Uh, a couple other books he wrote were definitely related to the mystic part of Freemasonry, called The Temple and the Lodge, The Dead Sea Scrolls Deception, and The Elixir and the Stone, The Tradition of Magic and Alchemy. So it would very it would be fair to say that he really wants us to go back and worship like Dionysus or well, Dionysus we'll rather. We'll talk about that. Okay. You know, okay. He he gets pretty explicit in some of these things. Mm-hmm. Um I, I will say some of the other things that, that he and his cohorts have done. One, one of the things I, I noticed in literature he mentioned, he discounts Josephus, the historical writer. And say uh, all that stuff was, was added. About Jesus. Yeah. All the stuff that Josephus said who was, was Jewish, mm-hmm. uh, that all the things he added about Jesus were, were added. And, and one of his famous quotes I got out of the New York Times, this was on February twenty second, 2004, Michael Bachant said, because he was getting a lot of criticism about not really finding good academic background and the whole thing about the prairie zion they talked about mm-hmm. uh some people think now it was a hoax um and yep. even the fact that the guys who supposedly put it in the archives in france have admitted it was a hoax um he said michael bajan said quote it is not sufficient to confine oneself exclusively to facts wow which um the context like some of the people i debate online well that's right <laughs> the context in which he was saying it is that he and his co-authors employ a type of speculative alternative thesis that has a few little factoids and some speculation about maybe their significance and what they mean, mm-hmm. which that's not uncommon, but they take it to a whole other level yeah. of information that's not really there, but they suspect to be there and motives they suspect to be there. It reminds me greatly of, of people who debate with the idea saying, Okay, well, you've proven that, but did you really prove it? I mean, did you really prove it? And you're like, I look at the evidence. And like, but did you really, really prove it? Right. I smell a conspiracy here. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's 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 that general mindset right. taken to the level of book form. Right. I'm surprised, even though they have a message that the world in general would like to debunk the the challenges of Jesus, even though even major parts of the world has even had a hard time swallowing a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But he's written this book, uh, like his other books. I think it's a bestseller. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's, I believe it's a New York Times bestseller. It's a book that should be of interest and concern to evangelical Christians. Um, and it's really addressed at all the three monotheistic religions of the world. Uh, and it's called Racing Toward Armageddon, the Three Great Religions and the Plot to End the World. Mm-hmm. And what you'll see in his writing is a th- threat or a feel that the devout of these religions um, are on a collision course and going to take down the whole world with it by basically bringing to reality in their own efforts an end times scenario. I think it would be fair to say that he views... And I think he may even even as explicit that all kinds of fundamentalism are dangerous. Right. And and uh, he mentions that in the uh, in the opening of it. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you just something real quick okay. as we dive into this. Wouldn't you say this topic is particularly pertinent given now that there's been um, recent exposure on the internet about a, I think it was an Army War College report. Yeah. About uh, premillennialism mm-hmm. and how. Uh, Christians, evangelicals who believe in the return of Christ are a danger. They could potentially be a, that thinking, yeah, that thinking could potentially be a danger, and you have to watch out for it because it is a, uh, the enemy could use that to exploit you, and so therefore certain people should not be in leadership positions who employ that view. Right, that's right. Um, which is very scary when you think about the fact that different Christian beliefs were addressed directly in the Mayak report and the Department of Homeland Security report, including those who believe in end-time prophecies yes. as being a threat of homegrown terror. Part of this thing, I actually, and this may, I don't want to derail the discussion, but several Mason uh, Masonic, you know, well-known writers have talked about this idea of the, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, getting uh, the externalization of the hierarchy is their the thing. And the whole idea is that at some point they start sort of putting out all these secrets out there uh, in, a, in a limited hangout form. And uh, it's, it's a way to sort of get people to sort of look away from the idea of the gospel and truth as exclusive um, and uh, get them interested in old gods. And I, I can't help but wonder if... Um, it's all tied into that? Yeah. And, and Michael Bajan's book mm-hmm. is, is, right. is just another we'll hook see. in that. Yeah, yeah as we'll see. Uh, I don't know. That may well be part of it. And, and I guess to sort of put my cards on the table in advance to let people know what I der- derive from this is that <clears throat> what that reports and things like that say, there is a little bit of truth in the fact that there are certain parts of people within our circles that are so uh, zealous in wanting to do their part to bring them back into the world yes. that they're doing actions, not that Jesus told us to do them, you know, he told us that certain things are going to happen, but they feel like it's their duty to help make it happen. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's making everybody nervous and giving the rest of us a bad name. So mm-hmm. even though, say, you and I may not be out there trying to blow up a mosque so we can put a temple, okay, on mm-hmm. the, the on the Temple Mount, even though we're not doing that, the fact that we believe one day there will be a temple there, they will think we're in league with these people who are. Mm-hmm. And one day they'll come haul us off. So in a sense, while we're all free to pursue God as we please, at least within our dialogue, we should be a little self-policing. 
amongst our faith. And I don't yes. mean like forcibly take, but I'm just talking about in our dialogue. Well, yeah, you need to go, you know, even in a even in a corporate atmosphere, uh, I think it's totally and entirely fair to go to this other corporate uh, ministry and say, well, what do you think about these things? Right. You know, All right, just e- even in our dialogue as a community mm-hmm. of believers mm-hmm. to make it clear. Uh, and to some people, it obviously isn't clear, but to make it clear by a plurality of us that while we believe God has told us these things will come to pass, he's not called us to take violent acts hmm. to bring them about. Um, and I think that, that some of the believers in Islam have that same dilemma with theirs that are trying to bring them back to the imam. Yes. Uh, they have, but, you know, it's not all the Muslim people out there, but there are some that are would really like to take actions to see his return. Mm-hmm. And they've got a sort of a similar dilemma. And in fact, even in Judaism, as we'll see, there's some actions yeah. that are similar to that too. So. There's a very militant, militant arm of those guys. Well, let's go into that here. Right. Let's dive in. You know, even before he gets on the bulk of the book, you you, you referred to this uh, on his uh, forward. It's uh, page XX, uh, and this, this we'll we'll cite this. So if you get the book out there, you can sort of follow along uh, later with some of these comments. He has a quote in there. That he says, he just puts it out on the table early in the book. He says, mm-hmm. fundamentalist religions are humanity's greatest enemy. That's a very interesting quote because I would, I would say that all of, all of fundamentalist, all religions say different things and make claims, uh, exclusive claims to truth. So to say that there's some, they're the greatest enemy means that either they're, none of them are true and therefore there's an atheistic the only one, in my mind, it implies an atheistic universe, except yeah. none of us involved in this in this discussion believe that, including Mr. Bajan. Right. That's true. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a, I think you're alluding to what my thought is, first of all, let's define our terms. What is fundamentalist? What does that mean? I don't think he actually technically defined it in the no. book. Um, and I wonder about any religion that's not fundamentalist. Uh, yeah. Do you really have a religion... If you do not have well-defined terms of doctrine and belief. I would even go so far as to say any religion that is not uh, fundamentalist in the sense that its truth claims are exclusive. Yeah. Uh, like, look, I really am the only way. Be well, that Judaism, Muslimism, or mm-hmm. Christianity, uh, you cannot, it's not, it's self-refuting at its right. very core. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. If it's not confident to believe it has truth. Mm-hmm. And in fact... If someone were to expose a truth to say, well, it's just one truth amongst many to get you where you need to go, then why go to all the effort to expose another way? Mm-hmm. What, what if, if it's superfluous, you know, to get us to where we need to be, then, then why the need for all of it? Um, exactly. But, you know, there's many who believe that. And I, I'm assuming that's his definition of fundamentalist, uh, partially, even though he doesn't say that, is that those who believe there's many paths to God... Therefore, they're tolerant of other people. And I don't believe that has to be... You don't have to believe A to be able to be tolerant. Mm-hmm. But they presume that they, they go together. Mm-hmm. So therefore, they can be tolerant that that is the antithesis of fundamentalism. Where, as I understand, fundamentalism is that you take the tenets of the belief of your religion seriously enough that you, you act and believe based upon the reality of those tenets. Yes. Rather than just spiritualizing them or saying they're allegorical or whatever, mm-hmm. which to me leaves you with a whole lot of nothing if you do that. Yeah. It's like juicing air. And, <laughs> juicing air. He's on a juicing <laughs> kick, ladies and gentlemen. I, got a, I bought know. a juicer, man. It's like the best thing ever. He's been trying to juice pyro, and we've yeah. tried to keep him away from that. Kitty, 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 uh, kitty. 
But, you know, when he talks about them being humanity's greatest enemy, I'm assuming they're thinking about the Crusades. They're thinking about the battles between Protestants and Catholics and things like this. And, of course, you know, battles with Jews and other belief mm-hmm. systems. But, you know, there's a lot of other bad enemies out there, too. Yeah. Uh, I would say communism might have a few feathers in their cap. Well, sure. Communism alone, you know, you can... The Nazis were Nazis were socialists. Nazis did a pretty good number yeah, on the, people you too. Know, uh, Stalin killed 41 million people mm-hmm. from 1945 to 1953, I think. Mm-hmm. There's Mao Zedong. Uh, you know, China, 68 mm-hmm. million died there. So Romans yeah. killed a few, uh, one or two. Yeah, a few places. So, mm-hmm. um, there, to me, there might be a little tinge of bias in that in that comment, but it forms the premise of his book. And in fact, before he leaves this. Uh, passage, he mentions something that's related to recent politics, and this also belies sort of the direction he's going about our, our American politicians uh, and their feeling of, of calling by God. He quotes uh, on page 22, or XXII, out of the, the forward there, and, and from the Haaretz Israeli news site in 2003, mm-hmm. he, he talks about a quote that uh, President Bush, G.W. Bush, said to the Palestinian Prime Minister. He says, God told me to strike at Al-Qaeda and I struck them, and then he instructed me to strike at Saddam. What, what do you think about that? Um, I guess we have no way of knowing what God says to a person. Well, uh, I would say, and we don't know which God exactly is speaking to him, based on well, based on some point. of the things that uh, uh, former President Bush has said, I'm just a tad skeptical. We're not trying to take a cheap shot here, but many evangelical Christians have asked that question you just asked. Yeah, no, I, I would refer anybody to his interview with Charles Gibson where he said, everybody's going to heaven, doesn't matter what you believe, which, you know, it fails the truth claims thing that we alluded to in the last, you know, talking about the first right. article there and, and Mr. Bajant's, the outline that you have there. Right. Can I read just a little section I want to sure. share with you? Sure. a large you. section. Well, I just want to see, see if we can comment on it. He says, uh, this is his uh, further comments on fundamentalism. He says, imagine for a moment that fundamentalism across the three religions, this is Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, mm-hmm. is like a curved lake, once a bend in a great river, but now isolated, as the river surging across its banks is cut off. Water no longer flows through this lake. It is still and stagnant. In other words, no new revelation, no new... Mm-hmm. You know, prophets or whatever. Mm-hmm. Water no longer flows. Uh, it is slowly dying, choking with its weeds and mud that clutch and stifle that which was once free. Yet those still living in the lake believe it to be all that exists. Uh, and they fear the river with its sparkling waters and diverse life darting and tumbling about. They think of the river as a breeding ground for evil and so distrust the freedom it allows. Fundamentalist religious leaders want us to believe that their ways are the only ways and that we are free, but free only to swim in the turbid lake water where long ago the spirit of life was cut off. We can no longer afford to be so indulgent toward their demands and their distorted visions. Time is short, perhaps almost run out. Uh, We have only two possibilities available to us. Drain the lake and fill it with earth, or dig a channel and reconnect it with the great river so the fresh and living water can once again flow Flushing the lake's darkness out to sea, where it can dissolve and ultimately be renewed. Well, that uh, the first part of that is obviously the original mindset of the lie of the serpent there in Genesis three. Evil is not really evil. It's good. It's good. Evil is good. Uh, you don't understand. Evil is good. That is 
essentially what he's alluding to there. That's a very ancient. Um, that's a well, very ancient. To, to me, it's uh, a very quote, new unquote, it's idea. A, it's a new age, very new age view. Because yes. if you go to new age conferences, the, the thing really there is anything goes. Um, if you yeah. if it's truth to you, then you just share it with us, and we'll we'll assimilate that. Well, the, and and the really interesting thing is is you just see so many people. It's always it's always like okay, well, it seems like it's evil, but really it's good. Really, really it's good. I mean, I right. know that it's like super scary and right. you right. know something attacked you in the middle of the night while you were meditating, but really right. it's good. Well, the people who think it's evil, according to this analogy, are the people who have surround themselves in a valley of stagnant water that mm-hmm. don't know the real stream. Mm-hmm. So w- what he pictures is a new age culture where there's constantly new revelation of people having experiential faith. You're constantly assimilating this new information, and they consider that a free flow. The fact that there's continuously new diverse ideas is somehow associated with the fact that it must be more truthful rather than having an mm-hmm. old set of information that's valid and still there. Well, that that tends to invalidate any idea of a... Uh of absolute truth again, you know. Well, it'd be very interesting if you compared it to other fields like mathematics. Yeah. Where you know we have two old, plus two is five today. Well, yeah, you have really <laughs> old textbooks. We use old textbooks with even advanced math. Yeah. But the fact is, you continue to use them because they function and work. Mm-hmm. And just because you feel today, like you said, two plus two equals five, you don't change. Doesn't them. mean it's more truthful because it's more vibrant and new. Yeah, oh, but but to me, what's ominous, and he is speaking for some segment of society. Well, I think uh, more so in 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 Europe and places like this, but growing here. Well, uh, and I think it bears mentioning there earlier that uh, he is a New York Times bestseller. Uh, that's right. This that's is right. not a. This is not something you know that was released. So yeah. it resonates with some, with some segment some, of the public. Yeah. Some. Yeah. He gives two possibilities. He says it's time to stop it, mm-hmm. and their distorted vision. He says drain the lake and fill it with earth. And that's where I would say the the new aggressive atheist movement is. Very interesting. Yeah. Is they're trying to fill it with earth and dam it up and say this is gone. Uh, in the stuff that I'm involved in, you see that very heavily uh, as well. You'll I'll have common uh, people comment about different things, saying you're nothing but a lower vibrational entity trying to hold me back. Yeah, I it's, hate when people say that. It's a it's a very. I I could really go go off the deep end on yeah. all this stuff, but. Suffice to say that it's not it's not just I don't think it's just his particular segment. It's the right. aggressive atheism as well as even the new age has become right. militant, maybe. Right. Yeah. And that's what this is. Yeah. It's the it's the antithesis of tolerance. Yes. We got we're not gonna leave the uh the ignorant lake people alone over there to believe in their crazy God. We're gonna go over there and actively drain it out. Yep. Because even their existence is a threat to us. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing he says is to dig a t- ch- channel and reconnect it with the great river. And I would say that is the infiltration of New Age teaching into the church. I was going to say. And other religions. The only person that stands in the way of that in the New Age channel is Constance Cumbie. <laughs> yeah. I thought of her name, too. Yeah. At least she's the one that says, hey, somebody's drilling through the dam. Yeah. You, you know? know? We may want to look at this. Yeah. Somebody's show. put a pipe of sewage and dumping into into our lake. The other, the other fish are going... That's not really that bad. But but this analogy really shows the two approaches I have. They have yeah. the new atheism approach to try to discredit mm-hmm. the monotheistic religions and wipe us out. And, and they're doing it to Judaism and Islam, too. Mm-hmm. Or they're using this deceptive approach of saying, well, we'll try to work you into New Age principles. We'll even use Christian or Jewish or Muslim terms 
Mm-hmm. But we'll get that water flowing through there, and you won't even notice it. You clear it might your be mind a subterranean and you breathe water. in the spirit, and then you clear out your mind, and you breathe out the spirit. I actually heard a uh, uh, pseudo-televangelist you know, I hope that. people don't just tune on our radio and like for five that. minutes. And, and they're they're like, like, this guy's a lunatic. <laughs> Thought this was a Christian radio station. Yeah. No, no, that was that was that was a that's almost a word for word quote I heard somebody saying yeah. about about uh, new forms of prayer, and this was uh, on, you know, uh, a prominent Christian yeah. minister. Right. I think he was. I don't watch right. him on TV. So right. Yeah. So they're actively getting that uh, channel going through. Yeah. Uh, one other comment related to this. I know we're getting to the end of today. Mm-hmm. Uh, he mentioned uh, on here uh, people who have only one God are always inclined to argue that theirs is best. Well, that again, that's the whole idea of exclusive truth claims. You know, and I guess that's pretty true. You're right. I mean, he he inadvertently says the truth there is that... Uh, um, sure. Why have one God if you don't believe it's true? I don't know. I don't know why that's even... I don't know why that's controversial, but... Well, I mean. um, well the fact is that he thinks that's profound. See, the thing is... Here's here's what here's what he extrapolates from this. I believe is that he believes that if someone, first of all, is monotheistic, that they naturally will believe that theirs is true. It's a natural fact. Mm-hmm. But also, in contained in that is a danger that if you believe yours is the way, then you are probably going to use some kind of coercive means to threaten everyone else with that. Yeah. Because he proceeds in the rest of the book to give some examples of that. I don't think he mentions that there's too many. Tolerant people that are quote fundamentalist yeah that uh no that's all protect the rights of others that's all that's all missed unfortunately, and the question becomes how many actions do we take to reinforce this view he's giving to other people yeah well and but I think that I think you can throw that i think you can throw that ball both ways uh you know just look at the uh, the captain Morgan incident there in the eighteen hundreds where all those Masons descended on that guy and chopped yeah. him up into little pieces. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that was not very tolerant, was it? A little bit intolerant. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll mention this later, but, uh, you know, one of the religions here at the end that gets a pass is Hinduism. They're not thrown into to mm-hmm. being in this intolerant fundamentalist. Yet, um, there's been a number of Hindu incidents where they've gone and killed Christians we could, boy, in recent a, years. A number. There's hundreds of thousands and of I'm people And I'm not saying that to trash all Hindus, okay? There's a lot of peace-loving Hindus. It's yeah. just that they're, they're, they're not miraculously apart from this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yep, we're up to the end of a right on end it. of a day here. Yeah. We're going to get into some specifics about specific religions mm-hmm. and actions. And this might be eye-opening some people, but we'll do it tomorrow. Yep. Right now, we need to let Merv tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. I know this thing, we don't cover very long and it covers a lot, but I, feel I think like, it's a good discussion. Yeah, I feel like we just got on the topic. Well, we'll, we'll get along. Okay, all right. We'll all get right. along. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is a different kind of week. We hope you find it interesting. 
Um, I think it could be important to know some of these things down the road, but we've got to say goodbye until the next segment tomorrow. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. I am Tom Truth Claims Bionic. Truth Claims? Yeah. Is this foreshadowing or, or past shadowing? Uh, it could be... It, it could be... Uh, uh, an explanation of my uh, metaphysical toolkit. Okay. Wouldn't have guessed that one. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you. Uh, being Tuesday, this is our second day of a, a very unique week for us. Uh, we originally, as we said yesterday, had, had uh, scheduled Michael Bajent, one of the uh, top authors in the world and best-selling authors, talking about his new book, Racing Toward Armageddon, The Three Great Religions and the Plot in the World. Uh, he's a person who's highly critical of... Uh, fundamentalist religions, as he calls them, and uh, we set the groundwork yesterday, and we've got a lot of particular material to cover, so I'm mm-hmm. going to jump right in, if that's okay. Um, uh, but I guess I didn't explain. He couldn't be with us. Um, there was some mix-up. It originally was arranged and scheduled, and there was a mix-up with his publisher, and he has some health issues and things. So uh, we had hoped for him to be here, but it gives us a opportunity to sort of focus on some of the content that you and I have reviewed in this book. Yes. We thought it was very important for our listeners to be aware of it um, because it exposes the view of a lot of people in our society, particularly worldwide, mm-hmm. and we need to be aware of it. Well, let's jump into some examples that he gives. Very good. Okay, he's focusing on the three monotheistic religions, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, and he gives some examples about... Um, uh, Judaism, and particularly uh, in Israel. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, he mentions, and this might be some things that some of our audience knows about and others don't, but they're interesting. Uh, G- General Moshe Dayan, which was the the one of the main military guys at the Six Day War, became mm-hmm. their Minister of Defense. Mm-hmm. I always remember him because of his eye patch. I always thought that was sort of exotic. He was a scary dude. He was an exotic kind of guy. Yeah. But the point that he makes out is that. Um, when they conquered Jerusalem in the Six-Day War, Moshe Dayan was from a faction, as I understand it, were secular Jews. Mm-hmm. Secular, most of them atheists. I don't know the de- details about him particularly, but mm-hmm. that segment. And most of those people were in people positions of power. Um, it says that he fought the Orthodox rabbis that were part of the military group coming in up on the Temple Mount because they immediately wanted to put uh, explosives. They wanted to blow up, blow up the, yeah, yeah, the, mosque the, the mosque there. there. And and so they could put a temple up there. Mm-hmm. And he stopped them. Uh, he threatened and he took them away. And in fact, uh, after they briefly raised the flag, they took it back down. Mm. And you'll hear a lot of uh, evangelical teachers say that was a disrespectful thing to God. That was supposed to be their land. And that God is sort of judging Israel because they didn't maintain it, hold it, and get rid of them. Well, that's that's lunacy. God, you know, where does it say in the Bible that you need to erect a flag? The only poles that I see mm-hmm. in, in the Old Testament, or even put a temple, aren't used to honor God. <laughs> well, the, you know that whole flag issue is another thing too. Yeah. Where the originally, as I understand it, maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Our listeners can correct me. Was that the religious people in Israel wanted to put a menorah on the flag as their emblem, and the secular folks said, "No, we're going to use the Star of David," which wow. has really weird history to mm-hmm. the hexagram. No, no, it's it, in some places it's viewed as an occult symbol. 
Well, yeah, it is definitely. Oh, it's one of the highest level occult symbols. Whether that's what they were thinking, I don't know. But it, they, people have made that point. Sound like a bunch of Canaanites. People made that point that it was called the Seal of Solomon. Yep. In the grimoires that were written about his supposed control over demons and the building of the temple. Well, this was something to try to keep the demons under control. Well, and there's a, there's actually there's lots of references to that. Old old references. Yeah. No, there's there are several famous books on. Uh, magical items, you know, mm-hmm. and how to real do real magic, yeah, quote yeah. unquote. That uh, uh, I don't recommend. I don't recommend that people no. have certain kinds of books. But if you have them in your, get them, get rid of them like yeah. immediately. Right. You know? Right. Well, um, and we weren't. That's not what our intention was to get into all that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, the the thing that that happened, and we're going to talk about this a little bit. Um, was it, it's it's a complex culture there. In Israel, in Israel, like I said, you have a a secular, atheistic group that really have the main positions of power, mm-hmm. as I understand it. Mm-hmm. They're the main people that are still there doing it. <clears throat> and then you have uh, like a, a super religious group that have been there for a long, long, long time that they don't even recognize the nation of Israel hmm. because they believe it goes against God's teaching. That they were not supposed to reestablish a nation in, in Israel until Messiah came and did it, hmm. which I think there's a strong argument in Scripture that they're right. Hmm. I mean, there's a there's a you know now uh, other evangelical prophecy teachers will say yeah, but it was prophesied in Ezekiel 37 that dry bones would be raised up and this and that. The debate there's two debates I see. One is whether the 1948 declaration was in fact the fulfillment of that Ezekiel 37. Dry bones raising, mm. or 60, 1967 when they took Israel, mm-hmm. or is it going to be after, say, the Isaiah 17 war and other things when it says that there'll be they, people they in the land, God. but it yeah. says they return to God at that point. Well, that's, and then it says there's a really big influx. If they think it's big now, as I understand it, there'll be a huge influx after that, uh, was it Psalm 83? Um, yeah. Uh, Isaiah 17 war, mm-hmm. that they'll come from all over the world. God will have motivated their heart, and they'll come in faith. You mm-hmm. know, and then sometime after that, maybe Gog yeah. Magog occurs. So there, that's one thing. Is there, there could be a real debate on when that actually is? Are they? Do they? Is that a faith raising up or not? Yeah. Um, the second thing is, it's one thing for God to say that this is going to happen, and if God says it, it will happen. But whether we, whether Jews, Christians, whoever, are supposed to take physical actions in the world to try to bring those things about. Hmm. That God said. To try and fulfill prophecy by our own hand? Yeah, that's better said, what I was trying to say. Wow. Um, that has some serious implications when you say it plainly like that, doesn't it? Man, you said it very plainly. Yeah. Um, because there are other things that are supposed to also happen in Scripture, like the Antichrist come mm-hmm. about. Is there anything that would be benefited by helping bring the Antichrist about? Wouldn't think so. You didn't. You wouldn't think so. Although I've, you know, I've heard some people on different talk shows call in and say that, you know, they'd like some advice on how to speed up the return of Jesus. Although, right. that will, I, I'm not going to comment. Right. I'm okay. going to take, take that all back. Okay. Okay. Um, a, few, a few examples he gives here. He says, uh, talks about the Temple Institute, Rabbi Ariel that founded the Temple Institute, mm-hmm. which I think is a place, if I'm correct, a lot of our evangelical tour groups take people through the Temple Institute. Mm-hmm. You get them sort of fired up. You know, Temple's going to be back here soon. Here's the priestly robes. Here's the stuff they got ready. Mm-hmm. Gets people all excited. I've been to a number of prophecy conferences where they'll have speakers that have been there and said, man, I've seen it all. They just they got it ready to go. 
You know, we're really? just ready any second uh, to have it. Uh, but this guy who founded it, um, or this Rabbi Ariel, was also had another founder along with him, Rabbi Leor. And one of his quotes is, he said, Arab terrorists captured should be used in medical experiments. It's interesting because I have a news story that might be... Yes, on Friday, (laughs) you're going to read a story that's consistent with that, right? Which is really heartbreaking when you think that the the poor Jewish people were exposed to being subjects of medical experiments under the Nazis. Well, and the other interesting thing is... You know, we know the CIA works with the Israeli security, but the CIA also works with the Palestinian security. That's not widely Mm -hmm. documented, but that's another one of my stories. Mm -hmm. So it seems that, you know, there there seems to be some sort of a correlation between uh, us and the harvesting of organs with these two organizations. Don't give it away. Anyway. This is something you don't hear a lot of prophecy teachers in the evangelical community talking about. This Rabbi Ariel, who's, again, founder of the Temple Institute, also said, uh, one of his quotes is, that the the term in in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, refers only to killing another Jew. Any other killing is a different transgression. Oh, that idea is very entrenched in rabbinical Judaism. Uh, 700, in the 70s, they had this huge list, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm getting off this topic here, Mm -hmm. but... Uh, they had this huge list of uh, uh, of people who were uh, slumlords in New York, mm-hmm. and most of them were uh, rabbinical Jews, Orthodox Jews. And when asked about this, the, the typical comment was, well, it doesn't matter what we do to other people because they're not our people. Hmm. You see, this gives ammunition to guys like Michael Bajant. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Jewish people saying it, Christians, Muslims. Yeah. Okay. He also said, uh, the same rabbi, that Christians and Muslims were idol worshippers who by Jewish law were forbidden to live in Israel. Uh, however, we send the people they think they're idol worshippers who go over, look at his place, support the mm-hmm. Temple Institute, things like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, rabbi Rickman of the Temple Institute, another one of the rabbis there, uh, actually responded to a letter from a supportive fundamentalist Christian uh, talking about Jesus. And I'll read this. It's on page 21. This is not going to be a total surprise to some of our listeners in prophecy. But I think when we hear these kind of things, we have to think long and hard about what Jesus calls us to do. Again, we're not debating that well, scriptures, the prophecy is going to come true. Well, I think it's especially salient to look at Matthew 24, the disciples ask. What's it going to be like when you come back? And what did he say? Don't be deceived. Exactly. Don't be deceived. Exactly. Here, here's a comment Rabbi Rickman makes to a, a fundamentalist Christian uh, talking about a Jewish concept of Messiah. He'd been talking to him about Jesus. So mm-hmm. here's what the rabbi says. Jews do not believe that the Messiah is a part of God or divine in any way more than any other person. No indication of this can be found in the Old Testament, since this is not a Jewish concept. We do not accept the notion the scripture, quote, foretells that God would robe himself in flesh. We believe that this idea is the very embodiment of idolatry, and we must give our lives to make a stand against it. The reason why Jews like myself do not accept Jesus as the Messiah is a very basic one. We do not see that he fulfilled any of the requirements for the job. If he never qualified... It is not even a question of rejection. Well, that's. I'm going to be quiet. I could totally debate that. Well, <laughs> it, the, the, I'm not trying to. 
kick the Jewish people. We're going to sure. We're just get comments these guys making about all three. Mm-hmm. But here's the point that I find interesting about this. Mm-hmm. These comments, these people are presumably being faithful to what they believe Judaism teaches. Okay, at least they're being consistent with what they believe. I'm not necessarily saying what it was in the Bible times, but what it is now. Well, what, what's evolved. Yeah, post two okay. powers heresy. They, 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 they believe that, so, you know, they're being consistent with what they are. But here's the weird thing that even somebody like Michael Bajant notices, and it's a little hard to dispute. And I just want to read this to you real quick. Um, he says, uh, let me find here real quick here. Make sure I've got the right quote. Um, He says, To render the Mosaic law redundant is to negate all the learning of the rabbis and the value of everything that they believe and teach. Which is what he just said. The only conclusion one can draw is that the continued acceptance of support from Christian fundamentalists by these Orthodox rabbis who wish to build the temple is an act of breathtaking cynicism. For the Christian fundamentalist groups to continue to give their support is an act of naivete equally breathtaking. He says, what both groups are choosing to ignore is that the Christians are intent about converting all of the Jews to an acceptance in Christ as the Messiah at the end times. In the minds of these fundamentalist Christians, those Jews who do not accept this will unfortunately die. So uh, it goes on from here, but the, the point is that he's making is that both groups are exploiting each other. They're being dishonest with each other. Yes. They have their own motives, mm-hmm. and they're almost sort of in some kind of weird league. It's it's a symbiosis that uh, is beneficial financially as well as for other reasons mm-hmm. for both of them. You know, you see you see this entrenchment of both. Uh, a Judaic, Judaic idea where they're making money off of these tourists, mm-hmm. but they also put out this thing that says you cannot evangelize, you'll be thrown in jail and fined five thousand mm-hmm. dollars or shekels, five thousand shekels or whatever. And uh, these other, these other major major ministries are only too happy to comply and jump on this bandwagon of um, militarism, uh, mm-hmm. which is I think outside the mandate of right. militaristic. Self-defense. I think you and I would agree that as evangelical Christians, we believe we are called, the reason we're left in this world, is to share the good news about Jesus Christ, make disciples, mm-hmm. spread the good news. That's the reason why we're here. Uh-huh. And what is formed is a league with a group of people who will, to your face, say, they re- we reject your Messiah. Now, we hope that one day, we know there, the Bible says there will be a remnant that will accept Messiah. It will. They will accept Messiah regardless of what we do. They will accept it when the Lord has put them through the crucible of challenge and they look up and call in desperation to their Messiah. That will happen no matter what we do. Hmm. But it will only be a small remnant of those people according to the Bible record. Mm-hmm. But what we're doing is we're, we're using each other. Whereas evangelicals are saying we're going to form a partnership with these people because we, we think somehow we can make things happen. We're gonna. God needs our help to bring about the end times, and and He may have a day in the future He wants, but we'd like to make it quicker. Now the Bible suggests that we say, even so, come Lord Jesus. We are to anxiously wait His appearing. Mm-hmm. That does not say we're supposed to go get involved and engaged to bring it a little quicker than what He yeah, planned. We're not supposed to reach over to the machine and try and turn the knob up. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But what they're doing is saying, we're going to exploit people who are outside of faith to do God's will. We're going to use these people for our purpose to do his will. The people on the other side know that. Mm-hmm. They know that's going on, but they say, look, we could use their money. We use the tourism money. They feed us a lot. We'll go speak at the Christian conferences. We'll go make the Christians feel good, but we'll get their money. We'll go meet our agenda. We have no intentions of of supporting Christ or even letting Christianity grow in our own country. But, hey, the money's good. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that's very inflammatory talk, but that's yeah. how it's perceived outside our myopic view. Well, and I don't, I don't think there's any anything that is untrue about that. However, you may feel about it, but that will make a lot of our evangelical listeners, anybody in those circles, very, very upset and uncomfortable really? to hear Why? that, um, because that's sort of sacred kind of thing, that relationship. Particularly those who, if you go to prophecy conferences, those who are in, in you know, we have a lot of prophecy buffs that yeah. listen to our show. Mm-hmm. We cover a lot of prophecy topics. Mm-hmm. But that is a fundamental premise of most of these conferences, is that that relationship is essentially important in that we help these people uh, uh, that we're just quoting. Well, yeah, but I think there's I think there's a there's several fundamental flaws in logic there. One of which that occurs most obviously to me is that you can still support you support your children even when they do wrong, but it doesn't mean that you encourage them to continue to do wrong. Right. And uh, um, you know my I have several lines of thinking going on with, you know, uh, uh, as a Christian, my relationship to uh, God's people. But one of the things that I think is fairly obvious is that if they're doing bad things, you're not supposed to turn a blind eye to it. And and certainly not enable it. Yes. And Uh. that, that appears to be what's going on. So I don't. It sounds strange to me that that is an inflammatory statement. Yeah. You know. Uh, but it will be. These two things are these these two actions are symbiotic, and they. Uh, but somehow we're not supposed to speak about it except except in so much as to uh, gloss it over with some uh, uh, gold paint. Mm-hmm. But I think it's worthy of pondering for us to, to ponder about. Are we about sure. really doing what we're doing? And I want to make sure it's clear with our listeners. It has nothing to do with the fact we think God is going to redeem. A, a, a uh, remnant of the people of the Jewish faith as a nation. That's understood in Scripture. Mm-hmm. The real key is our behavior today and whether we're called to be involved in that, and particularly in a scenario where there's mutual deception and exploitation going on in a relationship. Mm-hmm. So I won't beat that drum anymore. It's very controversial, but those All kind right. of weird scenarios give fodder for guys like this. Let uh, the emails flood okay. in. <laughs> now... On to Islam. We're just going to, I'll mention something real quick because we'll talk about Islam later. But okay. uh, he mentions that it, the Islamic prophecy community is really alive and well. Yeah. They have a big, thriving prophecy community. They have like the Islamic Peter Good Game and Islamic Tom Horn. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it says much of it comes from Christian teaching. Ben Muhammad al Misler. <laughs> In fact, some of the biggest uh, buffs, and I don't mean this positive or negative, it's just a, a fact according to him. Uh, biggest buffs of Christian literature, prophecy, like Tim LaHaye or, mm-hmm. or uh, Hal Lindsey stuff, are Islamic people mm. segment. So it's very, very fascinating, but then they put a little spin on it, of course. Um, another thing, this is just a factoid, okay, before we move on. Uh, he mentions a few things about the teaching 
Christian teaching about prophecy. And I want to skip through that part because our community here on the radio pretty much knows what Christians teach about prophecy. So we don't have to really we don't have to beat the dead horse on this. Yeah. One thing he mentioned that I never heard of, that Jerry Jenkins, who co-authored the Left Behind series with uh, Tim LaHaye. Yeah, I knew I recognized that name. He mentioned in there that, uh, you know, there's an army of 200 million that's raised up in Revelation that goes and kills a third of the earth. Mm-hmm. He said that they recognized that although many people teach that to be the Chinese army, that it's really a logistical impossibility to do it. And they believe that that is a demon army. Interesting. Now... I have not read the Left Behind series, so I don't know. But I thought that was a surprise to me, because that is very much like what you would hear some of our authors say. Oh, uh, future quake authors? Well, like, you know, an army of Nephilim or spiritual beings yeah. that would come out of the abyss rather than being... You yeah. know, if you read the old prophecy books like Hell Lindsay and stuff, all of these things are sort of converted over into human yeah, things. Like when they say, well, locusts flying well, over helicopters with missiles. Mm-hmm. You know, or this army, that must mean that the, the uh, you know, I think they call it anthropomorphizing. You know, this must mm-hmm. be the Chinese army. But they actually came forward and said they recognized these had to be demonic creatures. So that's mm-hmm. a little aside I thought that was very, very that interesting. That is a very, very interesting aside. Okay. And the part of the part we're going to skip here, and this is this is the part that probably when you read this, you'd get most frustrated reading if you if you went through this far. I'll tell you what, I had to walk around the block about every ten pages. Yeah, yeah. Because just the height of cynicism about mm-hmm. belief, but but basically what he what he does in the book is the same thing that our listeners would find when they watch a History Channel documentary about some kind of prophecy topic or the mm-hmm. devil, where they bring in a bunch of liberal theologians, and they'll say, well, when they mean Satan, they just mean a great spirit of of anger or evil. a spirit of yeah. e- of, of no, there's no evil, but just anger and just really. You know, negative actions with mm-hmm. people and stuff well, like that. Negative karma flying you around know, at that time, man. Because he talks about Revelation and, and the Revelation of John and things like this. Is Well, he had a certain political context, and mm-hmm. he wanted to send a message to Rome that he really didn't like them, so he sort of faked it. Now, this is taught in a lot of our seminaries. A lot of our seminary teaches that books like Revelation and others were not meant to simulate activities that really happened in the future. They were meant to be metaphors of political struggles. Uh, so that's taught in our own churches. Hmm. But but he had that, and that was a extremely frustrating thing. But back to some interesting material here. He, he gives some examples about some Christian people who are really big into taking what we generally believe and putting feet on it in terms of in the political sphere mm-hmm. or even a military sphere. And one of the gentlemen he talks about at length is a very interesting gentleman. Uh, his name's Lieutenant General William Boykin. We could get into old, old uh, General Boykin. He's very, he's a very uh, popular guy in a lot of evangelical circles. Uh, unabashed uh, Christian beliefs. He served as the Deputy Undersecretary of Intelligence. Uh, he speaks to a lot of churches. In fact, he got in trouble for giving some pretty strong religious talks while he was in uniform. Wow. Was sort of with the guy. Never really said, "Hey, this is my personal view, not the position of the." Uh, Military, which is what got him problem. One of his quotes, he was talking, he was talking about President Bush. And he said, talking about Bush, God put him there to lead not only this nation, but to lead the world. I would, I would refer back to my earlier claim of, well, what God exactly are we talking about? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I, I bet was, that's going to get a lot of emails. <laughs> I'm certain he would say, 
you know, you know, the, the God of. Uh, oh yeah, I, I am Jagger. sure. I'm he sure he would say that. say that. But he saw Bush as being called by God to lead the entire world. Hmm. And that's a very interesting thought, given the time that we've had to look in hindsight at, at the experience of those mm-hmm. years. Um, he said, and he told this audience while, while he was a military member, he said, we were fighting Satan. That's in the particular military actions we were taking, okay? Mm-hmm. Particular military actions. You know, he didn't mention we were necessarily fighting Al-Qaeda or so many different religion or belief. We were fighting Satan, who wants to destroy this nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a very interesting background. He was involved... In just about every Delta Force operation of any consequence. Yeah. He's not decades. a dude you'd want to go like all the major confrontations. He was some part of it. They were newsmaking. Wallet or something. He also was an advisor for the Branch Davidian assault. I found that very interesting as well. He was the one who, you know, that led to him going in there with the mm-hmm. flamethrower thing and the fire and Man, the only thing that he hasn't done is trained the Savic uh, secret police in Iran. Oh, wait, that was Schwarzkopf. Schwarzkopf's dad yeah. that did the secret police. Yeah. Uh, but he also was involved in taking the camp X-ray techniques to Abu Ghraib. Now, this is now I'm not this information I'm sharing with you is not from Michael Bajan. This is from a, another source that didn't come across as having a you know uh, bone to pick yeah, with him. Credible. Just source. sort of a you know just saying here's his resume. Mm-hmm. He was involved in the kind of activities, the enhanced interrogations at Abu Ghraib. I like that word, enhanced interrogations. Yeah, I'm trying to find a euphemism there, sort of like terminating pregnancy. Um, but he brought those techniques uh, there from Camp X-Ray, uh, which is very interesting to have a guy who's teaching those kind of things like we saw in mm-hmm. Abu Ghraib teaching in our churches. It'd be interesting to see what his background would be with our uh, with last week's guest, Colin Ross's research. Mm-hmm. If he yeah. showed up in any of the biscuit teams or anything. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um and then it says he took these interrogation techniques to the rest of Guantanamo Bay. Um, he also was involved, according to Seymour Hirsch, another writer, uh, with Rumsfeld had him in a special access program where he did sort of the bidding and responded directly to Rumsfeld on, you know, we're finding out things like... Oh, yeah, the the, the private, the, his uh-huh. private assassin right. squad. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, as a member of the military, uh, one of his quotes in the Baptist church was, he says, we've come here to recruit you to be warriors in God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, just the last couple points here, he said, uh, Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein can only be defeated if we come against them in the name of Jesus. Um, That's odd. His, uh, but, but he's gone forward to taking this training he used in Delta Force for and having sessions at Fort Bragg for church pastors, uh, having these meetings, he calls them faith force multipliers. Delta pastor. So, <laughs> so they're using the same techniques. They use these kind of things and finding a way to spiritualize them. Um, so we'll leave it at that. I know Close we got a break. Spiritual combat. <laughs> just just mull that over, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but here's Merv to tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. 
Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we have we got enough mess for today. I'm sure glad that uh, I'm sure glad that I don't respond to every email and that you do. Cause yeah, thanks. This is going to be a, this is going to pretty much going to take up all of your time. Maybe the last show. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, please come back for tomorrow. Uh, be more interesting information. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye bye. Shalom. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom. I can't wait to get into this stuff. Bionic. Yeah, it's been sort of an intense week already, hasn't it? We're only halfway through. Yeah. Um, in fact, we don't even have a guest this week. That's what's more amazing. We could blame it on the guest if they were here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we originally were scheduled to have uh, Michael Bajant, one of the um, biggest selling authors in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Basically writes different worldview of history than what we consider the Christian view. But uh, he's got a book out called Racing Toward Armageddon, The Three Great Religions and the Plot to End the World. Uh, talking about these three monotheistic religions that are trying to really push and promote and bring to come to pass the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And um, we've been reviewing it, really... Uh, Disagreed with the overall majority of what he has to say, mm-hmm. but, but he's had a few interesting insights of things that other evangelical writers are maybe scared or too ignorant to point out. Well, and I think that's an important point to make. You know, mm-hmm. we do disagree with the majority of the book, but there there's enough material that well, in the points we're raising, we're not saying necessarily they're the final word, but there's some food for thought. Sure, we encourage people to take some, even some of the audacious things that we say here, mm-hmm. just mull it over a little bit. You know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll hear about it. Uh, we talked. <laughs> you don't say. We talked. Uh, we left off talking about we. There, there's things said about Judaism, and uh, now we're in the middle of Christianity, and some points the author makes, and he he mentions about and he, he's really getting into the the side of Christianity of evangelical world where they really take physical action politically and otherwise military wise mm-hmm. to bring about. The kind of events God says are going to happen anyway at the end of the world mm-hmm. when they take action. And um, the next segment, uh, he talks about there's a uh, theologian, Jim Wallace. He says progressive Christian. I'm assuming that means he's probably a little left of center. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, don't know much. Ab- yeah. Don't know much about him. Okay. But uh, he has some interesting comments here. He says uh, progressive Christian theologian Jim Wallace, who once enjoyed close access to Bush has noted this apparent confusion between the divine mission of Jesus and the mission of the United States. He, too, is concerned over the blurring of the lines. He asked a blunt question, one with a very significant and far-reaching implication. Is the theology of George W. Bush truly Christian? Does it take a global view of God's world, asked Wallace, or does it just assert the newest incarnation of American nationalism in an update of Manifest Destiny? I totally agree. And you know, Manifest Destiny that, was a, this doctrine we yeah. had that we were meant to conquer the continent. No, I, I think that is a very, very legitimate question. I think so, too. Yeah. Uh, Wallace describes a particular example that worried him. In the 2003 State of the Union speech, when Bush, speaking of the problems faced by the United States, related, the need is great, yet there's power, wonder-working power, in the goodness and idealism and faith of the American people. Now, those words mean a lot to me. I don't know from your background, because I've sung those words a lot in church. 
but the the, the oh, version really? of them were uh, there's power, power, wonder-working power oh, in the blood in of the, the land. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and that's f- for people, you know, of a certain generation or background. I've heard that song before. Those are powerful words, but mm-hmm. they've been co-opted for a, taking it away from God uh, and taking it to about the actions of America. Okay, he says, Wallace explains that this line comes from an old gospel hymn, but points out that the meaning has been distorted. The hymn states there's power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb, meaning the power of Jesus. Wallace comments, the evangelical hymn is about the power of Christ and salvation, not the power of the American people. It's a complete <laughs> misuse. The resulting theology is more an American civil religion than Christian faith. Uh, and Wallace con- concludes, to continue to confuse the roles of God and the church with those of the American nation as George Bush seems to do repeatedly, is a serious theological error that some might say borders on idolatry or blasphemy. Um, and, and to be fair, he's not the only one that does this. I, well, I've heard George W. Bush do it a number of times where he's taken a Christian phrase and spun it mm-hmm. to be about Americanism, but so has uh, Obama. There have been cases where Obama has used certain terminology like that, and if I remember right, I believe even uh, Hillary Clinton. Well, so it's an old technique. Well, yeah, it doesn't end there. You know, even Elliot Nesh pointed out that in several cases, senators used Isaiah nine uh, in a way that they didn't intend. Yeah, to say the least. Which really got a rise out of our listeners. Yeah, our listeners really appreciated that show, talking about the abuse of it and mm-hmm. the fact that we're not doing good things by doing that. Mm-hmm. Now, um, let, let's talk about Reconstructionism. Mm-hmm. Which leads us into uh, Dominionism, okay. which has been mentioned many times on our show. Alternative Christian media, particularly, has talked a lot about Dominionism. Yep. Um, Dominionists are usually the people that are well placed to have the money, which means not the kind of people not we us. hang out with. <laughs> uh, Jerry Falwell, uh, D. James Kennedy, and others were documented. Uh, they mentioned this book as supporting Reconstructionism, mm-hmm. which uh, a gentleman by last name of Rush Dooney. Is the most the best known named gentleman involved in this? Salman Rushdie? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, but he would speak on their shows quite a lot. But he is the big name mm-hmm. uh, in the. I've heard that thinking. name before. I don't. I don't know what he does. But he's been invited on their shows, so oh. the relationship is definitely there. That's cozy. Now, uh, one of the affiliated organizations uh, is, uh, is I think it's pronounced the Chalcedon Foundation. Chalcedon. Uh, Chalcedon. I'm sorry. Like. But it's affiliated with this uh, movement. Uh, one of their quotations right off their website, it says that Christians suckled on a pietistic view of the faith and life simply cannot conceive of a world-conquering Christianity. So That's crazy. They see that having a pietistic view of the faith and life is a real weakness. No, yeah, they, they would, and, and this is me putting words in their mouths, but I don't think it's that far out of the line, to say that they support what most would view as sort of a, not only a uh, an integration of big government and private business, but they would they would support big government and private business coming together in a theocratic type of environment right. to go and do bad things. Well, in what we'll see in some of our comments here, probably a lot of our listeners, if they've listened to this show or others, are familiar with this, is that when they say world conquering, they really mean conquering. Mm-hmm. They mean using every coercive means at your disposal. Yeah. Everything, whether Lying it's the power of government. Oh. Well, you know, you have coercive power of government, you've got military, you've got mm-hmm. other things. Mind control. <laughs> well, 
could be. Yeah. Um, but but those who would would have a um, more introspective view, even if they were evangelicals, yeah, or they share their faith, uh, but they're they're not trying to strong arm people. Mm-hmm. They would see that as a sign of weakness. Uh, Rush Dooney's book, The Institutes of Biblical Law, says that democracy opposes Christian teaching. Isn't that interesting? And Tell that, that to Samuel. And, and, quote, the heresy of democracy has worked havoc in church and state, and it has worked toward reducing society to anarchy. Again, tell that to Samuel. Now, this gentleman is very influential in some of your largest, best-funded evangelical circles. You know, you've got groups like The Family. Mm-hmm. You've got, um, you know, I mentioned a couple, D. James Kennedy, Jerry Falwell, others have had him on the show. Uh, a lot of these big ones. Now, when they're teaching things that democracy is is an enemy to what they're doing, that would make a lot more sense that we would be put in something like the Mayak report or the DHS report as being enemies of the state if if these things are attributed to the evangelicals are being said out in the open. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that. Uh, he says another quote. He says, there can be no tolerance in a law system for another religion. Uh, Rush Dooney said, the First Amendment... You know, freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, restricted power of state to interfere in matters of religion. It does not guarantee religious liberty. Hmm. Okay. And then here's a one of these gentlemen who is one of the, the I guess, really the biggest spokesman now, best known for it's Gary North. Uh, let me. And Gary North also is very well known in economic circles. Yeah, I've heard the name. He's well known in in the same respect. Yep. Uh, he has an interesting uh, uh, quote here. Um, this this would be one for you to chew on a little bit. Uh, this this relates to um, this relates to homeschooling, hmm. and I'd say that I am very supportive of homeschooling. Me too. Anything that can get the teaching of children away from the indoctrination of the state is a good thing. E- even if it's even if it's not perfect, mm-hmm. and even if the people are not perfect, it's better than the state indoctrination. Mm-hmm. I would hope they would have high standards, academic standards, mm-hmm. and would not cheat their children by giving them nothing but the best training. But um, they're, they're big on homeschooling, too. But then again, and this is my view, they pervert something wonderful, and they give it a bad name. And they're gonna, what he's going to say here is going to give ammunition to people to want to stop homeschooling. Here, here's his quote that he, that he writes, Gary North, about homeschooling. He says, so let us be blunt about it. We must use the doctrine of religious liberty to gain independence for Christian schools until we train up a generation of people. We know that there is no religious neutrality, no neutral law, no neutral education, and no neutral civil government. Then they will get busy in constructing a Bible-based social, political, and religious order which finally denies the religious liberty of the enemies of God. Well, we've covered. It's interesting you talk that talk about that because we've covered that idea again and again with, uh, you know, author. Um, oh gosh, what do the, you think about the that? The Libertate guy. Yeah. The whole idea that well, the idea that every time you try and suppress something like that, you end up in, inciting rebellion and in many cases generations of hatred against your movement to what? suppress that. He's talking about imposing tyranny in the name of God. 
I was getting to that. Okay. <laughs> but isn't that yeah. what it is? Exactly. We're, we're, we're going to, to create tyranny over other people of different views. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Somebody like you and me, even though we, we believe we're Bible-believing Christians, mm-hmm. we might fall outside his circle. Yeah, because we don't... And then we become the enemies of God. Oh, yeah. The whole idea, I'm sure, would be on us would be that we are... We may be, you know, fundamental and literalists and conservative, but because we don't believe in these ten key points, uh, technically we're liberal, and we need mm-hmm. to be disposed of or marginalized mm-hmm. or both. And they would certainly like to have the power to shut down a show like this. Yep. And be able to have to do it. And I want to tell our listeners, when you listen to Christian radio and you hear people say, we're supposed to occupy until he comes, that is the buzzword yeah, that, that you just heard that means of dominionism. Reconstructionism. Run. Okay. He, now, here's the response from Michael Bajant. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, here's a response he gives to those kind of words. Now, you know, he's quoting a few of these people, whereas we know there's millions of great, wonderful, liberty-loving homeschoolers. Mm-hmm. He chooses those kind of things to, to bring his report on. Mm-hmm. But yet the fact that they're there and we tolerate it gives him uh, license to say this kind of thing. Okay, here's his response. Above all, quote, godly homeschooling is a danger to America and perhaps to Western society in general. Belief systems grown into are hard to subsequently change. Hmm. That's what he'd like to do. Many Islamic terrorists were educated as young children in the madrasa system. All they know is the Quran and Sharia law. Are we to have Christian terrorists in the future, just as we have Islamic ones now? Terrorists raised in particularly ideological homeschool systems? Sadly, on current trends, it seems likely. Hmm. So he takes what Gary North says and extrapolates from it. Uh, again, he, he's not being balanced, you know, in, in the yeah, totality of it. Yeah, completely unbalanced. But it's However him, people are saying it. It's so. given him license to, to do this, and that's why homeschooling principles are included in these reports of, of terrorism, because we tolerate this kind of teaching, not just to be a few crackpots out there, but it pervades in sometimes our mainstream Christian ministries and media. Hmm. Yeah. So I, to me, I think that's something that some of the most disturbing information that's in here. Uh, you know, uh, my, my comment uh, about this when he says this, and, and he goes further about how much it's going to destroy people and endanger them. What do you think should be done to parents? You know, this is what I'd like to ask him, uh, who teach their kids, for example, things like creation and homeschooling. Um, he, he rails on here about how terrible it is that... Uh, they're taught creation and how it's like a danger. You know, in the European Union, they say you're an enemy of democracy. That's, a, that's the official doctrine. Yeah, it's almost. But when you teach that you want to be coercive through this teaching technique to raise people who are going to be tyranny over other people, that's going to be the backlash you get. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of thing. Now, they might do it anyway without it, but he gives them, again, license for it. And he says, Michael Bajan says, that people who homeschool... And do this kind of thing like teaching creation science have a, quote, misguided interpretation of freedom and tolerance and are committing intellectual and spiritual pedophilia. <laughs> I don't think I really like this choice of words. Well, it, but that's he is speaking for people in positions of power in parts of the world. Well, to uh, some extent, I that. also I also think he's. But if you look at the European Union, for example, mm-hmm. that would be, I think, pretty much sum up how they view it. Sure. And that's why they outlaw homeschooling. Hmm. Um, Maybe. I don't know. Okay. And, and what I'd like to know, and see your thought on this, does the state really have a better record of teaching youth? No, it in does not. In a safe not. way. 
And I, I'll give you some examples of the most widespread ones that have certainly taught a lot more kids in homeschooling. Stalinism, you know, S- schools for children under Stalinism or Chairman Mao. Well, there's been numerous, numerous studies that have shown that, and, and they don't like to put these out in public, but there's been numerous studies that have shown that homeschooling kids on average score like hugely higher on IQ tests and stuff like five, ten points. Mm-hmm. Right. You know. Right. right. Now, I have seen some that I've met that I think sort of shortchange on some aspects, like on math and science and things like that, stuff that people think is hard stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I, um, I think the parents aren't into that, so it's difficult to try and teach a kid something you don't know. And, but and we that, as a church body need to make provision for that. Sure. There are some associations of homeschooling where they try to get people there to do it, mm-hmm. but, you know, not everybody can be a minister, although we need ministers. Not mm-hmm. everybody can be uh, in the humanities. Mm-hmm. Although we need people there, mm-hmm. we need people in law, in engineering, and law, and Med- medicine, mad- math, you know, doing taxes, whatever. Yep, we need sitting Christian on the couch eating potato chips. Well, well, we're we're creating a lot of those too. Don't <laughs> worry, we got that one covered. <laughs> There's no shortage. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, now, uh, he talks about some interesting things, and I, I would need to verify this. I'll just say it. He he says in his mm-hmm. book. Uh, Sarah Palin, he mentioned her a little bit. Everybody likes to sort of kick Sarah Palin a little bit, you know. Yeah. Uh, he mentioned that her church, both the one she used to attend and was selling her, her new one now, is part of something called the Apostolic Reformation, mm-hmm. which was something that was actually condemned by the Assemblies of God in 1949 and 2000. I think they were sort of pushed out. And according to him, and again, if anybody of our listeners have information, maybe we could look this up, mm-hmm. part of their belief is they they believe in working for a theocratic government. Uh, according to him, he says they believe that Jesus cannot return until they have conquered the world. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that have that view in the morass of Christendom out there. Yeah. And it's a, it's a very unfortunate and But sad. she may be a presidential candidate. So, I mean, in 2012. Yeah. It's, you know, it's true. So, and I don't know if that she really believes it or not, but that'd be a good thing for some of us to find out. Mm-hmm. Because if someone does accept that they believe Jesus can't return till we have a theocratic kingdom, that might influence some decisions that are being made. Yes. Well, and I think that's, gosh, that's really important to know about about presidential candidates, but it's really not something that's easily known, you know? Well, I, I, I guess I need to do a little homework, look on their, maybe their church web pages and things like that. Well, and really not. I was going to say this may be something that exists in the church teaching, but she doesn't. Necessarily, yeah. You look at her own writings. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot I need to do, or you need to do, but we can only do so much. Yeah, I mean, we keep uh, with our research we need enough a, just for every week. We need an army of Futurians to check all this stuff. That would be great. Maybe, maybe some we of y'all could check some of this out because we don't like to say something about somebody if it's sure. if somebody like a Michael Bayesian is you know mm-hmm. misquoted them or mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we sure appreciate that. Well, maybe we should set that up in the future. Okay. Well, it's a it's a standing invitation to you out there, listeners. Yeah. Um, yeah, talk about Muslims. How about we talk a little bit about Muslims? I hate Muslims. We got to kick. <laughs> yeah, that's somebody just tuned in and yeah. heard that. Uh, <clears throat> They're turning the volume up. Uh, he has some interesting points there. There's a gentleman about, and I just mentioned a few examples. You'd have to get the book to see all of them. A gentleman named of Hizbut Tarin. Mm-hmm. Um, he is actually one of the world leaders now within Islam, and he's trying to get the caliphate restored. But he has some interesting side views. He's very influential with the more militant ones. Mm-hmm. He says he's okay with pornography. What? So it's like no big deal. 
As long as it's like Westerners and not I, I Muslims. don't know, but yeah. I just wonder if that since he's real popular with the uh, uh, with the more militant versions. There's been reports supposedly before these guys do terrorist events that they'll go to a you know a stripper bar or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's part of like what they're accepting is his kind of teaching. Hmm. Just very, very it curious. Um, there are all sorts of there are all sorts, of, and this is a little bit far field, but there are all sorts of reports, numerous, numerous reports that within various uh, sects of Muslim, uh, you know, uh, pedophilia and stuff is sort of a, a culturally acceptable thing, even though it's not necessarily talked about. Yeah, we yeah. could do a whole show on that, and I don't want to derail well, us. But I'm it's sure very weird. I'm sure there's Christians. Uh, that well, they call themselves, excuse me, people who affiliate with that, who are involved in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've heard it said that even Talmud talks about doing it. What? Yeah, supposedly. Well, again, that's something else for people to look up. Uh, now I didn't say the Torah. I didn't say you know classic, no. but I said that the Talmud. But uh, evidently in Islam, there's segments that uh, are okay with some of these things. Large, large segments. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But. Uh, well, we're just slinging the accusations out there. I'm, I'm just trying to <laughs> accusation trying to, quick, trying to stay on to what the book talks about. Yeah. Uh, but they do teach that Muslims must destroy Jews without mercy before the day of judgment. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, another author that, that's popular in Islam right now that talks about end time things is this author Muhammad Isa David, uh, and he lays out his eschatology. They have their charts, like we have our charts in prophecy. Mm-hmm. In their charts, they believe that the Mahdi, the Imam Mahdi, conquers the Middle East, which includes Egypt, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Central Asia, Malaysia, Indonesia, Africa, Mozambique, Libya, Sudan, and East Africa. Okay, and then he forms a caliphate. This is when the Imam, or the Imam Mahdi, and then attacks Israel. Now, what I find interesting to me, I've come to the belief that if someone ever tries to attempt to say that they're the Mahdi and do exactly that, that they may be Gog. Because that describes the kind of uh, assembly that Gog will do up mm-hmm. against the mountains of Israel. Um, now, there's a gentleman, Dr. David Cook, who actually has reviewed works like this gentleman and others who specializes in it. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that they teach, like this uh, this Isa David, is that Dajjal, which is their Antichrist, mm-hmm. uh, actually lives in a castle below the water in the Bermuda Triangle. I saw that. I saw that in your notes. And, and has that demons was, that kidnap people. I saw. It's very interesting. We have to call Russ Dizdar out for that one. So probably on the Islam Future Quake, they have guests like him. Yeah, yeah. That's probably who they would have. Um, he also teaches that the Vatican has contact with this base as well too. Hmm. So it's not just Jew focused as an enemy. They they the bring the Vatican in there. Yeah. And then they say that the demons actually inspire the Jewish people. And that the, their slaves, the, the Jews, are the Masons. Interesting, okay. given some of the yeah. stuff that we reviewed. Yeah. Now, they also, he teaches, I have no idea, I've not had access to his materials or, you know, what he says, but he says he believes that the demons are actually in a, some system program. Demons are infesting children taken below the Temple Mount. That's an interesting. I'll, I'll be quiet because I know what you're going to say next. <laughs> Hey, I've already been told I talk over the guests, so you need to... Can't you be more like Terry Gross? No, we need to speak more. uh, One of the things that we've talked about here is the fact that there's been reports by very credible witnesses that there is, in fact, a room under the Temple Mount that is a a Masonic temple. Right. 
So, and you have studied much. We've talked about it on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dar, others mm-hmm. about actions where people have taken children, done traumatic uh, events to them, like satanic ritual abuse, mm-hmm. to have demonic infiltration and multiple personalities. Right? Yes. I have no idea if this person is just making it up or if somehow they're privy to information. That's one thing that, that I, might be part of it. You know, that's one thing I wondered about when we were doing Russ's show. Uh, what would be the prevalence outside of our cultural paradigm? Does this exist in Does this exist in Persian, Muslim, uh, Africa? This suggests Europe? that the, might be a worthy area of study. Yeah, I don't know how on earth you'd start that to look, to look at that. Uh, he also mentions that, uh, that another author in the prophecy circles there in Islam, mm-hmm. uh, Hasham Abid Al Hamid. Mm-hmm. Uh, says that they believe UFOs are piloted by demons. I would, which is interesting in their studies that they would come to a similar conclusion. I would say that there's a great cause for interest there, especially so. Given well, Hamid may be the Muslim guy Malone, for all I know. I don't know if they have their <laughs> ancient of days. Well, now it would, it would be interesting to see how, in fact, they 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 cut that they cut those two lines because I think they have a third class. Of spiritual entity, Jin, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. aren't necessarily that aren't necessarily malevolent. That they're right. you can speak to them, and it's a neutral ground. Right. Yeah, uh, Muslims actually, they, according to these authors, believe that the Freemasons are actually against them, mm-hmm. and that they're working against them. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because a point we'll make at the end of our our talking uh, is a unique role Freemasons have with all three of these religions. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one other curious thing, I might be surprised to some of our listeners, like it was me, is that the Muslim apocalyptic authors in general in their community speak very, very well of Christian end-time authors. Hmm. Uh, they're very popular. In fact, they mention it here in one of the pages here, just share quickly with you. Um, it, so, some of the ones that they really like, um, it says, in fact, Jerry Falwell's writings, as David <laughs> Cook explains, are popular amongst Muslim apocalyptic writers. And he is frequently cited as an authority who knows something about the end of the world. Um, it all has the feel of an incestuous relationship. That's Michael Bajan's aside. Commentary. It says, others who receive a mention in Islamic sources are Casper Weinberger, mm. Jimmy Swaggart, Jim Baker, Pat Robertson, Oral Roberts, Kenneth Copeland, Richard DeHaan, Billy Graham, and surprisingly, the Schofield Bible. How interesting. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Um, I don't know what to make of that other than it's just an interesting uh, surprise information. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we need to stop right now because we're coming around the corner to third base. Uh, We're going to summarize. Let's bring Merv in. Yeah. uh, From the underground base below the Bermuda Triangle. (laughs) Murray, would you come tell our listeners how to contact us here at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. 
Okay. That's better from the Masonic Temple under the Temple Mount. Yeah, that's true, too, yeah. hey, when he comes from there. Yeah. Um, were we a hair less controversial than Tuesday on this one? Wow. I'm glad you answer the emails, the bulk of them. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we're just trying to comment on this You may want to expand the, uh, the, uh, the storage uh, capacity of your email. A lot of people are reading this book. Uh, a lot of people, it influences them. They take the information card blanche. We thought it was important that you knew whether we got Mr. Bajan on or not. Uh, get some interesting food for thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of you all may disagree with us, and, you know, if so, so be it. But uh, till then, we'll hear back from you. we got one more segment to do. And until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Yeah. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, not from Kansas City, Bionic. I'm not going to ask where that came from. <laughs> uh, this is a very different week this week. Um, we originally had scheduled to interview the very popular worldwide author, Michael Bajan, mm-hmm. about his recent book, Racing Toward Armageddon, The Three Great Religions and the Plot to End the World, mm-hmm. and had gone to enormous Herculean effort to get him scheduled. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we had some issue with the publisher and middle people and had some problems and delays after we had it already scheduled, and then he's been ill. So it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So we but, just wanted to... But we've already reviewed his book. Points. Yeah. And his book, while given his non-Christian, strong non-Christian perspective, mm-hmm. we find much that we have issue with. In fact, much of it we'll cover in this segment. Yeah. He's had some things that we've had over the show that we thought was somewhat ironic in Food for Thought as someone outside of mm-hmm. our evangelical worldview. You might say and the last couple of days have been the positive side, and this is the... <laughs> Well, this is where we get out the thumb screws. No, it's been a mixture. It's been a mixture of his comments. But um, I'm sure we're going to get some grief from some of our listeners, possibly, about some of the points we've made. Oh, we get grief so from them every week. I mean, what's, um, how is this going to be any we, different? We love them and appreciate them. Okay, going around here, to proceeding in our last segment here about our review of his book, uh, Racing Toward Armageddon, he mentions about the uniqueness of America and I'm going to just read a little segment here on page 229. Mm-hmm. And uh, people can go back and review this if they get, if they get a book. He says in there, he says, uh, uh, talks about he talks about Western culture and the Manifest Destiny and the British-Israel movement, you know, trying to merge religion in the past with uh, national things. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, make sure I've got this uh, segment right here. Make sure I got that right. Yeah. He says, much from both of these movements has fed into the fundamentalist ideas that the United States is a uniquely chosen nation that will lead the world to a glorious future, so long as it follows God's rules. See, they recognize, they they hear what evangelical teachers teach. Mm -hmm. Evangelical fundamentalist Herbert W. Armstrong, uh, which is sort of on the fringe, of evangelicalism, uh, uh, to say the least, <laughs> uh, once associated with the Toronto branch of the British Israel World Federation, and who founded the Worldwide Church of God, has publicized the view that the Anglo-Saxon countries, with the United States foremost, are the modern representatives of God's chosen race, destined to choose the world. Uh, it says religion, on one hand, can lead a person to discovery of meaning. On the other, it can be a very effective tool of manipulation, something that is not lost on politicians. Uh, We need meaning in our lives just as we need air, 
water, and food. This grants enormous power to those who control the religions. Now, this is something that I think is actually relatively profound. Okay, I'm yeah. going to give this away. He says, the task of government does not involve a concern with meaning. Rather, it is to maintain a structure that allows divergent religions and philosophies to live together. A structure, Professor Gray explains, that will embody a type of toleration whose goal is not truth, but peace. This view, he argues, is realistic, and it is hard to disagree with him. Now, a lot of evangelicals may throw tomatoes at me to say that, actually, that phrase I agree with. Mm -hmm. Because it separates the mission we're given in the body of Christ, Mm -hmm. in the kingdom of God, our, our mission to obey the dictates of our commander, Spread the kingdom in his means, which are spiritual, not physical. Mm-hmm. And then we have civil government. Uh, and as we've, I think, said before and agreed, the purpose of civil government is to help keep everybody's mitts off other people's stuff. I thought it was to take over the world. <laughs> okay. You're one of those guys. But Occupy those until lines, I come. Those lines have blurred in yes. much of the evangelical community. Mm-hmm. Because what, what I read here in the former about America being sort of that beacon on a hill, you know, to spread on a whatever. Um, basically, he's saying, look, if you look at the government to find meaning, you're looking in the wrong place. Okay? Now, he's got a weird mixed-up faith, but that means we all have a right to choose whatever where we find weird truth. mixed-up faith we decide to follow. Including yeah. our own, and we're glad to have. Yes. Okay? Uh, because we really believe it. But that's where we find meaning. Government is not the place to find it. Government is the institution that figures out how to take out the garbage. Mm-hmm. and how to keep people from grabbing each other's stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, as he's saying here, its purpose is not to find meaning, rather it's to maintain a structure that allows them to live together with divergent views and whose uh, goal is not truth but peace. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So, I think that's something that uh, we could we could learn from, in my own personal view, but there will be many Christians that would disagree with that. Yes. Uh, that's the purpose. Mm-hmm. Um you know, he mentioned something in here, talking about, um, in fact, here it says, he says, the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, were, according to the most recent scholarship, created to support the formation of the monotheistic Yahweh temple cult, which developed after the period of exile in 538 B.C. Now, what? his implication, I know, his implication here after I just complimented the man, yeah, bare, barely, it's, it's, it's is totally that he ridiculous. talks about... The, the whole the, the scriptures actually coming after the exile. Yeah, no, that's um, that's not. There's nothing in the Bible. There's nothing in any any historical record. Well, here's the question I have: What was inside? What was inside the ark? I, from what I understand, there were tablets of the Ten Commandments put in the ark. I'm sure he would say like Plato or something. You, you know, know, it wasn't really the ark didn't really exist. It's a figment of your imagination. I mean, who who was reading the law in the the you know yeah. when they were having Day Absolutely. of Atonement and all well, that, that gets, kind of stuff? That gets probably gets back to some of the data that he presented his you know Jesus things that uh, where the documents yeah. are no longer available. Well, and also I guess he just doesn't take the Bible as a valid description of history. Well, Although Judaism has been so good at keeping an accurate record of what's happened through history. Yeah, well, it's... You know, that's one thing that they've done very well. That's fine if you want to throw out the Bible, but the problem is is you can't... Everything else has to go, too, because it is a, it's the best documented historical 
book in antiquity that that's we have right. by far. So I mean, that's what you have to take. And that's what's frustrating is that he'll say something, he'll back into a random comment that has some meaning to it. That's mm-hmm. a clear perspective outside of our myopic view. Mm-hmm. But then he'll say this kind of silly stuff uh, like this. Now, um, he, he said he mentioned something about the differences in the Quran. That's interesting. He says. Um, you know, he's taking swipes at Christians and Jews and their scriptures. He mm-hmm. says the Quran too has textual problems. Despite the oft repeated claim that nothing has been changed from the beginning, scholars estimate that there is a roughly 20% variation between the different traditions of the Quran. Scholars know of nine differing official versions of the Quran. A few years ago, an ancient Quran, dating from the earliest days of Islam, was excavated at Yemen and now is in the University of Heidelberg. There are considerable variations between this early text and the modern ones, a fact that shocks certain Islamic scholars. Hmm. That's not so, surprising. That's something we don't hear much about. You know, I found it interesting. We had someone uh, that you and I heard speak that talked about in the Quran, and, you know, I'm, I, I need to improve my education by knowing more about it, mm-hmm. but, but talks about how it acknowledges and venerates the Bible. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, they... Which goes counter-contradictory to their belief that all the texts were corrupted. And no, 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 no. Well, they view, they view legitimately, they legitimately view Jesus as a prophet. They view Moses and Abraham as prophets. They just don't see him as the son of God. Yeah, but I'm talking about the Bible in particular. There are passages that talk about the Bible as God's word in there from what but we've been, been taught. But yeah, but it's been corrupted. But then they talk about being corrupted. Mm-hmm. So... I think you have to have one or the other. You got to pick which reality it is. Yes. Well, that's and it's interesting you mention that because that's why in Islamic in fact, Christians need to make that decision well, too. It, liberal Christians. You know, Islamic the Islamic ideal is that it's all everything was corrupt, but now ours is good. And oh, by the way, you can't question these teachings. That's mm-hmm. a, that's that's probably why that it's it's the most important. That's the one unforgivable sin in Islam. Is that you question these teachings, or you question, you're questioning God, and then you go to directly to hell. Do not pass go. That's right. Do not collect two hundred dollars. That's exactly right, or whatever denominations they have. Yeah. You know, uh, at this point in the last few pages of the book, he takes the gloves off, sort of sort of plays his hand out, really embracing polytheism, but really the the mystery religions. Mm-hmm. He he actually comes out. And endorses the mystery religions as the true path that we need to take. I didn't get that far in the book. Of the ancients. Well, that's where, that's where he goes with this. Uh, and he admits that, yeah, they're secret, secret initiations. He implies that he went through the initiations. Mm-hmm. And, but he glorifies those because he doesn't see those mystery religions as having created world war, you know, in, in, at least in his lifetime. He's not seen them cause big battles and stuff like that. Of course, you and I know we've covered on this show about some of these uh, powerful groups in the world who we believe support these mystery religions that mm-hmm. really do cause these kind of things. Mm-hmm. They just don't advertise it. They don't have well, and one of temples the things, out in the open. Well, and one of the things that we got into was the Scottish Rite Foundation cross-financing the uh, uh, the uh, MK Ultra studies. That's you know, right. I mean, gosh, that's pretty dark. <laughs> that's pretty dark, Mr. Bajan. Yeah. Well, if I can share with you a few, actually, this is a long passage, but it's mm-hmm. about all this, uh-huh. and I think you'll be shocked when you hear some of this here, if you've not heard this, our listeners haven't. Um, it says, we are part way there already. There is the matter, and interrupt me if you, when you'd like, there is the matter of the Roman Catholic cult of the saints in which living people after their deaths became figures of worship. There may not be temples raised to these Christian demigods, 
But within, he's calling them demigods, these saints. <laughs> but within the great cathedrals, there are chapels dedicated to them where one might, one might often find the faithful praying aid and intercession. Saints were not a feature of original Jerusalem community of Jesus, brethren James of others. It began later, spurred on by the Christians martyred for their faith. And, and by the mid-fifth century, it became widespread with sites of adoration ringing the entire Mediterranean. The cult was seen as connecting the two realms of heaven and earth, and so the living with the dead, the divine and the terrestrial. Mm-hmm. Now, here he goes. He says, it's often been noted, there are many parallels with the ancient Greek cult heroes who were deified human beings, demigods, who occupied a place midway between terrestrial life and the remote Olympian gods. Graves of heroes with the associated cult can be found from the latter part of the 8th century B.C. Well, the failure, failure yeah. in logic, of, of course, is... You know, the saint, the word saint in the Bible means something completely different than what he's referring to. Well, and, and he is speaking highly of these demigods, which we've had in prior shows. Uh, Christian, uh, we've had the demigods scholars. in prior shows. This must have been one of the well, ones I wasn't here. <laughs> they weren't here. They've come up. Yeah. Our, we've had, uh, prophecy scholars say, it's like Samuel. These were the Nephilim of the, it says they were the heroes of old, men of renown. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, yes. Well, yes, we're yes. known as the demigods were these Nephilim that were worshipped before the flood. Mm-hmm. He says a, ha- a hero is tied to a specific location, acting as a focus for the identity of the local community, but with influence extended only around the general area of his grave. This grave would be set apart from others in a special places where sacrifices would be made and gifts like brought. A, like a territorial spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like the Canaanite gods, you know, in a different region. He says it's true that this local aspect is different from that of saints whose influence can be wide, but it does have much in common with the associated practice of honoring relics of the saints, uh, which are the bones, blood, blood, skulls, or powerful amulets. He says in the hero cult we find a practice identical to that of the saints, the major occasion in the year when the feast day was in the hero's honor. This cultic practice is continued within Christianity, and we all now know the feast days of at least some saints, many of our public holidays. Uh, who can miss St. Patrick's Day? But the greatest importance of the heroes is seen in times of battle, for they were believed to give direct aid to their communities, their cities, and their countries. We can see this is precisely what occurs with saints as well. Ever since there's been Christian armies, they have fought, marched forward bearing the banner of their patron saint. This is the marital as- martial aspect of the two cults hold in common, something completely absent from the Gospels, which reveals the heritage of the cult of the saints from the earlier cult of the heroes. Uh, the, sa- the fact that saints like the heroes can act as intercessors with God is but a theological spin that does not affect the structural pattern of the cult. Both heroes and saints are demigods. So that's how his outside view, and you see that's part of the problem when we look at Christianity in the history that Christianity was perverted after Constantine to take pagan things and Christianize them. Hmm. And it gives fodder now for these guys to say, look, it's no different than the religions of the past. Why don't we embrace them? He says, is it not time to accept that the Middle Eastern experiment with one God has failed <laughs> and that it is leading <laughs> and that it is leading us slowly but surely along a path to conflict and destruction and that another path is needed? There is, of course, the path to the wisdom of the far world, which is the uh, what the ancient Egyptians practiced, a path no longer printed on our sacred maps, a path, path that is long forgotten by all save a, far, a hearty few, despite popular derision struggling to make the journey. Sweet. Uh, he says, uh, the ancient Greek mystery traditions describe another world they called Hades, 
It was a place where you could go during initiation. One rowed across the river by the boatman Charon to the Elysian Fields, which lay uh, beyond. Uh, and then he goes on and on about this. He says, this is why um, many of the ancient cults existed, to allow people some knowledge of this journey. Uh, because they were not permitted to speak of it afterward, and because no one ever did, we are left with very few hints what typically occurs. He says, sadly, these public mis- mysteries no longer exist. The journey needs to be made almost clandestinely. So you know, th- these were secrets that they wouldn't share with the public. Hmm. And he says it's sad we still don't have those secret ways of initiation. Well, that sounds like uh, it gets back to what I've been mentioning to you the last week or so about the idea that this New World Order may be slated to get get the chop to build this final New World Order that is looks like it. And then, in fact, talks about, uh, you know, that's when they spring the whole, let's go worship a bunch of old Egyptian gods. Here it comes. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Right. Probably not with the well, little Well, and that's soundtrack. what he's implying. Yep. He says Cicero, who was a member of the Roman College of Augurs or Diviners, mm-hmm. understood the need for a popular religion as well as a mystical tradition. His cynicism is pragmatic. And we're, we're almost done here. Mm-hmm. He says his view was that the practices such as those followed by the Augurs were simple, simple political expediency. Mm-hmm. He quotes in his book on divination, Out of respect for the opinion of the masses, and because of the great service to the state, we maintain the augural or divination practices, discipline, religious rights and laws, as well as the authority of the augural college. See, he's saying not only does he support this pagan approach, but sort of cynically, he's saying it just makes better politics too. Keeps everybody keeps everybody together, local. Keeps mm-hmm. it keeps all the fighting and monotheism down. So even if it's delusional, it's still preferred. He says, even the Quran, in some curious phraseology, hints at a knowledge of this distinction. Uh, he says, we indeed say that the inner and the outer understanding of religion has been with us for millennia. For the outer popular understanding, a god or goddess, is important as an authority figure, a source of morality, justice, and social harmony, one could, who can impose fearsome sanctions on those who transgress and promise gifts to those who favor. For the secretive inner understanding, such as an authority figure, is irrelevant. All the gods and goddesses are focusing and symbolizing different expressions of the one divinity. Yeah, that, again, gets back to my point. Which is what which, which what we've been taught, even like uh, Robert Hieronymus and others and Chris mm-hmm. Pinto's documentary said, that even the priests didn't know everything about what it goes back to. But it almost flirts of monotheism, mm-hmm. except it's a non-personal god they're talking about. Mm-hmm. So those who argue... Kind of a panentheistic god, really. Yeah, but still... Uh, uh, a universalness to it. Yeah. Uh, those who argue over a theocracy for the United States or the need for a temple in Jerusalem to save humanity or the need for Sharia law to save the world are misguided and mistaken, locked into the outer cultic aspect of religion. And he's wrapping up here. It says, all indications are that this superficial and shallow approach to spirituality of monotheism that motivates those who are claiming Jerusalem as the center of the world. Furthermore, it seems fair to conclude that so long as we are dominated by this outer approach to religion, we will have no peace at all, neither in Jerusalem nor anywhere else. And uh, finishing here, he says, To have a society that accepts different expressions of divinity is one that allows a path for everyone. No one need fight over the name of a god or goddess one worships. If others do not like one, they can seek another. It doesn't matter. Ultimately, all these paths lead to the top of the sacred mountain. 
though some are perhaps rockier than others. Hmm. So, question. I mean, one question that jumps out for that, um, if it doesn't matter if they all lead to the top of the sacred banner, then why don't we stick with the ones we got? Yeah. If they're getting us to the top of the mountain. Now, he says, well, maybe it'd be a little bloodier, uh, you know, if we do that. Um, yeah. and I no, really, all other religions are good except Christianity is, is the general implication. No, and that's, that was the message I got at the Triple I HS meeting. Yeah. Was, was Everything is good <laughs> unless you really believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and. That's right. You know. And that's when you're set apart at the tower. Mm-hmm. And that's why when you look in the ancient world, you had the, the followers of Shem, you know, one of the sons of, mm-hmm. of, uh, of Noah who followed the right path. Mm-hmm. And then you had everybody else went through the path that went through the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. And so that's always been the separation of the figures. You know, I really wanted to ask Mr. Beige, and he, he alludes in here that he took this path of initiation himself. Yeah. So he's speaking on what he presumes he has as some hidden knowledge himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but but he, he, he suggests in here that, you know, for simplistic people, if you have these kind of beliefs, even if it's a pagan god, but it's an embodiment that has a symbol for justice, morality, but he, he implies that it's irrelevant. <laughs> and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, well, what happens to a culture if you don't have... First of all, if it's untrue, even even if it looks healthy for a society, if it's based on an untruth, I can't follow it. Mm-hmm. Even if it makes a, quote, better society, a, a, a belief built on a lie, no matter how healthy it looks to me, cannot ever satisfy me. Yeah. No, it's still a lie. And that includes parts of my Christian faith that I have accepted without seeking truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he talked about how much safer we'd be with uh, pagan gods. And I've, I've got a few examples here. I'm sure you could add some for our listeners to think about. I wouldn't consider that, like the following of Dionysus to be... Um, a safer, more peaceful approach in a monotheistic religion. Well, didn't they drink themselves into a tizzy and then tear things limb from the limb? Maniad, yeah. The Maniad uh, maidens yeah. would actually run across the fields, and anything that was moving, they would grab it and start pulling it apart limb from limb and consuming it live in front of it. Wow. Sounds like my neighbors. <laughs> well, I'm sure they'd appreciate that listening here. <laughs> but, you know, is that really a preferred culture? I mean, is that something that's... Well, More peace loving. You go and you look at, and you go and you look at this. I had this conversation with a gentleman last night. At the end of the day, you go and look. You know, uh, you find that in all of these religions, there is a secret little doorway into deeper meaning, and that deeper meaning always brings you in contact with uh, malevolent spiritual entities. Yeah. Always, and they tell they tell you, "Oh, well, we're not really bad. We're really mm-hmm. good." Never mind the fact that we're just really scary, but we're really yeah. good. Well, these people are all, the, the servants are all light workers, from what I hear. Mm-hmm. They always call each other light worker. You know, I've never heard one rebuke another one when I've been to some of these conferences with New Age themes where they say, you're not really a light worker. What's wrong with you? You're a dark worker. There's no, there's no critiquing, no discernment. No. You call yourself a light worker, come on in. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know anything about the spirit you're talking about, but you got a smile on your face, so it must be good. <laughs> and and believe me, Jeez. when I mentioned that, that spirits lie and that they're powerful and deceptive, they didn't like that. It did not go over well. No, when I, because mm-hmm. that was the elephant in the room. They didn't want to talk about. It. I've got a review. That I could elephant. probably use some of that. Some of that. My apologetical studies. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, he talked about too that it was safer to have localized gods. Mm-hmm. Somehow that 
made community identity. We'd, we'd have like the God of Nashville or something like that, which I guess we do sort of have one downtown. I know. <coughs> but an idol at least. It looks sort of like... Um, but I'm thinking like a Molec. Could you know? be the same. Yeah. You're just in a suit. <laughs> yeah, we have the Diana idol, largest idol in the Western world. Yeah. In our fair city. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Molec, you know, who they sacrifice children to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't consider that a uh, a positive feather in the hat of a preferred. What if we had that in our society now? And in fact, if you want to see what that's like, I strongly recommend our listeners, if you can find a sanitized version, to see The Wicker Man, the original one, mm-hmm. 73. Um, it's extremely well done. Uh, Edward Woodward's in it. Um, uh, Christopher Lee. There's a scene in there where there's a Christian man and sort of a seduction scene and uh, there's some things I wouldn't approve of in the scene, although they're critical to the story, but there ought to be some cleaned-up versions of it. But the thing is, the message of it, if you want to see what the New Age is really like and what their end game is, that movie captures it better than anything. And I can tell you, they do not come across when it's all said and done as lightworkers, although they still perceive themselves that way. Well, that's... This, man... It all gets back to, like, Genesis 3 for me. I see this again and again and again. And you tell people about it, but they don't get it. They say, whatever just happened to you, you're terrified about it. But it's not really it's not really evil. It's really good. It's really good. And when you get right down to it, that seems to be the message that Michael Bajant and uh, the, the people that I interact mm-hmm. with in my, my various ministries mm-hmm. and uh, other things like that. That's the same. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's. What you experienced is really scary, but it's not evil. It's good. In mm-hmm. fact, it actually it's your body trying to wake you up into a higher vibrational state. And don't let any mm-hmm. other people tell you differently. Right. And really, really, really don't, you know, get with this idea of an exclusive truth claim that right. there's only one way, even though that is the only way that which that comes from the monotheistic religions that he's criticizing in this book. Yes. Yeah. Exactly right. Um, that is a threat to them of that dogmatic nature. And just to mention again, when um, Pastor Chris and I were going in, into that conference and he asked somebody at the IIHS about how inclusive they were, how you saw every possible religious expression there, he says, you know, is there anybody here who's not welcome? And the guy turned to us who didn't know us and said, well, the only people who really aren't welcome here are people who take the Bible literally. Hmm. So the line has been drawn. Oh, Yeah. Basically, and this book, and, and just remember, you know, these great gods he recommends. You know, the, the New Agers planning their own writing to get rid of 90% of us to support Gaia, the Earth God, mm-hmm. goddess. Okay? It's a big old sacrifice. And you remember Barbara Marks Hubbard, uh, who said her spirit guide told her that, that they were going to be the pale horse death. I wonder if she's related to Elon Hubbard. I don't know, but I think she's passed away. Yeah. She's gone to wherever she's going to go. Mm hmm. But uh, in closing, I just want to mention that he didn't pull this together, but being a high-ranking Mason, the one group that has Christians, Jews, and Muslims all meeting together in unity and harmony are the Freemasons and the Freemason Lodge. Hmm. They have the one ability to pull off what he wants. And I just wonder if that may be, since he writes so many pro-Masonic books, if that really is his agenda in a book like this. I think that's the one way to salvage the three-world religion is under the common activity of the Masonry and Egyptian gods. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
Well, we got to go. Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're done, buddy. Let's get out. I'm so sorry. Well, what do you think about this? Uh, his book was disturbing. But it was an interesting show. Yeah. All right. It was okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed it, too. Uh, until then, come back for tomorrow's Tremors. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom um, um, Bionic. What, are you trying to center yourself with your third eye or something? No, or there are just three M's there. Uh, is that like a reverb when it turned up on the board? Yeah, yeah. It was oh, mom, mom, that mom. plate. It was that plate reverb. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you for another Future Quake show. Today is Friday, and that means what, Tom Bionic? It's time to get depressed, quite frankly. To get depressed? Or uh, unlike the uh, uplifting shows during Monday through Thursday? Yeah, it's like mind control, but then current news is like really depressing. <laughs> Okay, we call it Tomorrow's Tremors, or Today's Review of the Future's News. I thought we'd call it a critical examine of Revelation 18 happening right in front of our very eyes. <sighs> yeah, that is a Monday through Friday kind of thing. Yeah. But we've got some interesting stories today. Yes, we do. Hey, um, I just want to give a call out to somebody. Uh, we got to meet this weekend Sister Melissa and her friends. Yeah, she was great. Listener of our show. Sure and talking with her. Very, I, you know, I read nice her email. book in one sitting. Really? Uh-huh. Was it very uncomfortable? The seat the was sit, fine. The sitting, okay. The seat was fine. Really? Yeah, that was good. So you read it all in one sitting, and your legs didn't get numb or anything? Not any number than they normally get. Well, I poured, I, I, I juiced some juice, and it made everything Okay. Perfect. All kidding aside, it was a good book. It was right? good, yeah. All right, okay. Well, um, we sure appreciate you, Melissa, in coming all the way out to meet us. Mm-hmm. Actually, she weekend. lives just around the corner. Well, all that way. <laughs> With your friends, too. Yeah. We, we, we enjoyed meeting it all of a, you all. It was and your a encouragement. They were very encouraging to us. Yes. And we need that. Mm-hmm. And we hope to see you all again. Uh, come see us whenever mm-hmm. you can. And we really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. And I guess we got some news stories to go to. Indeed. I should probably let you talk a lot because I've had a couple emails lately that I talked over the guests. Oh, gosh. Don't let those people <laughs> get to you. Well, that's what they say. Oh, yeah. Probably many more think it that don't email. Well, yeah, but there's so many people that write in and say, Tom Bionic is like. Yeah, a couple people said I didn't like, let Dr. Ross talk more. And he's such a great guy. I if should you, have. If you mic'd a pickle jar, you'd be on better footing than Tom Bionic. Mic'd a pickle jar. You know, I don't let those people deal with you. Yeah, They're also, it's one thing to, like, throw stones. It's another thing to throw your hat in a ring and do this every week. Well, you know? yeah. You know, you, when you get in the arena, you get a little bloodied sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate people's critique. I don't want to scare people away from giving me honest critique. I appreciate it. Sure. But, but let's, I do, let's, I, let's I don't stay away from ridiculous critiques. Okay. Well, ridiculous is my specialty. There you go. Speaking okay. of ridiculous, give us a story. Uh, this one's via Forbes. It's called Troubles Ahead. For U.S. government. 
If the government stays on the course it's been for the past 40 years without a radical change, the federal government will soon have a $10 trillion budget, $10 trillion budget. In other words, the federal budget deficit will be $1.4 trillion. Just to make the size more visible, that's $1,400 billion. That's big. Hmm. Our colleague Rob Arnott, who does terrific research, wrote in his recent report that at all levels, federal, state, local, and GSE, the total public debt is now 141% of GDP, hmm. uh, including uh, Social Security and those other things like that. Hmm. Um, that doesn't say that here explicitly, but just from numbers I've seen, that's what yeah. it's including. That puts the United States in some elite company. Only Japan, Lebanon, and Zimbabwe are higher. And that's only the start. Add household debt, highest in the world at 99% of GDP, and corporate debt, highest in the world at 317% of GDP, not even counting off-balance sheet swaps and derivatives, and our total debt is 50, 555%, 557% of GDP. Let me ask you this. Did you say 500% of GDP is what we are, our debt? Uh, Yes. Okay. Our, our total our total debt, both public and private, is 557% of GDP. Okay. So that means if you were a family uh, and you made $100,000 a year in your home, and you have the same financial condition, mm-hmm. <coughs> you'd owe $557,000. Mm, if you close. made 100000 a year. Yeah, I think that would be... It's hard to quantify that exactly, but I think that would be about right. And it would be if you made fifty thousand dollars a year in your home, you'd be almost two hundred eighty grand in debt. Yeah, every year. Okay. And that's not necessarily. Now, see, the the tricky thing is that includes your your yearly government debt, like what the government's spending on your behalf. That you. I don't thought know that about. was the accumulated debt over the life of the country. Yes. Well, I just want to make sure that that's not people understand that that's not strictly private debt. That's your private debt plus the government's debt on you. Yeah, plus I was just trying to look at our country as a household, something yeah. we can get our arms around. Okay. When you start throwing hundreds of trillions around, it's hard to visualize until you think. If you ever see me throwing hundreds of trillions around, you've got the wrong guy. If you had debt, <laughs> if you had debt. It would be hundreds of trillions of pennies. Debt that's five times what, uh, what you make, mm-hmm. you would think, hey, I'm out of control. There's no way I'm going to get out of this. And that may be the message Mm-hmm. That people need to know about America. Well, it's interesting to see that as this goes on, uh, our government passes uh, passes legislation that is intensely intensely socialist. Uh, I would say probably illegal, and uh, dramatically increases this. Hmm. Like almost at the perfect time, it's like sucker punching somebody while they're just trying to get up. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's fascinating, really. Um, uh, here's here's the final here's the final sentence that I'll read. The article is much longer. Less than three years ago, our total indebtedness crossed five percent of the GDP for the first time. Add the unfunded portion of entitlement programs, and we're at eight hundred and forty percent of GDP. Oh, so it was too rosy a projection before. Five hundred percent wasn't bad enough. Five hundred fifty-seven. That's the stuff from Medicare and things like that that we don't know how we're going to pay for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> And we just added a huge chunk to that unfunded portion. So we're sort of doomed. No, we've got Jesus. Yeah. Oh, I I just meant as a country institution. Oh, yeah. Would you like me to share one? Buy guns and butter and rice yeah, and beans. A farm. With a little bit of oil. Maybe a farm. A little bit of oil. Um, 
let me let me just share this. This is from Depka, which is an Israeli mm-hmm. uh, website that's cited a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's interesting. This is Israeli for what they share here. It says uh, Indian U.S. ties soured by suspicious Chicago terror operative. Uh, by the suspicion that the Chicago terror operative was a U.S. double agent. Oh, okay. okay. This no, is David yeah, Headley of Chicago accused of terror. Mm-hmm. Court documents in the criminal case against David Headley, who was arrested in Chicago in September for suspected involvement in the Mumbai terrorist siege. You remember where the hotel? I do. <coughs> yes, Excuse it was me. terrible. Yeah, it was, a lot of people lost Travesty. their lives, including a lot of, uh, like, um, Jewish um, organ, you know, place was attacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says they suggest the Chicagoan U.S. citizen may have been a double agent for the Al-Qaeda-linked Pakistani Lakshar tribe and U.S. intelligence. They so they may have been everywhere. on U.S. intelligence. This suspicion, also the subject of leaked media reports from U.S., Indian, Pakistani intelligence sources, is severely straining relations between New Delhi and Washington. Debka files counterterrorism sources report that New Delhi suspects the CIA, New Delhi, the city, India, suspects the CIA knew in advance about the Mumbai attack, in which 177 people died and 500 were injured, and were aware of Headley's links with uh, its uh, LET perpetrators, with the Pakistanis, Al-Qaeda's operational arm in Pakistan, but omitted to forewarn Indian authorities for fear of touching off a military showdown between India and Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So you got a guy who's already tied to the Pakistani army of Al-Qaeda and is serving U.S. intelligence, too. Crazy. Crazy. Thought we knew who our enemies were. Israel was not tipped off either. Although the Shabad Center of Mumbai, where six people were killed, was a special target, Rancor against Washington was registered in New Delhi, where an official at the Indian Ministry of the Interior confirmed Wednesday, December 16th, that his government is looking into whether Headley worked as a double agent. A current former counterterrorism officer in the Indian Foreign Intelligence Service said, the feeling in India is that the U.S. has not been transparent. The atmosphere between the two countries is not, is not helped by the FBI's refusal to let Indian anti-terror officers question Headley, who is believed to have led a Chicago-based cell which set up Islamist terrorist organizations worldwide. And he was on our payroll. Wow. Okay. Uh, Debbie also add their sources. The court records show that the Chicago-based Headley was pressed into service by the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency <laughs> in 1977 after he was wow. caught smuggling heroin from Pakistan to America. They also show that he became an FBI informant after Al-Qaeda's 911 attacks in New York and Washington. After that outrage, the FBI and CIA were directed to coordinate their counterterror work. The Indians assumed that the CIA must have been aware of the Chicagoans' existence and certainly picked up on his frequent trips to India with side trips to Pakistan to meet his Lakshar uh, tribe associates. Whether he worked directly with the CIA will probably never be proven. Indian security authorities are also asking who paid for Headley's frequent trips to Europe and India on missions to locate targets for terrorist attacks, gather intelligence, and chart uh, Laskar tribe routes to target. He would then carry the information guidelines to the Pakistani operation headquarters. The Chicagoan was clearly a staff member of the group who participated in its planning conferences. Some Western intelligence sources believe that he may have been pulling the strings from Pakistan during the three-day terrorist siege of Mumbai in November 2008. Indian counter-terror sources believe that data 
which Headley may have leaked from his Pakistani conferences to his American controllers, may have prompted a U.S. warning to New Delhi in July 2008 that a large-scale terrorist operation was in store for Mumbai. When two months went by and nothing happened, the Indians relaxed and lowered the security level. Uh, Headley stands accused of making five reconnaissance trips to India that set up the Mumbai attack. On one or more of these trips, he traveled disguised as a religious Jew, scouting the <laughs> Chabad Center and other religious locations. Israel was never informed that the Lakshar E tribe had set its sights on Jewish and Israel center uh, Israel centers in India. That's crazy. So sorry that was a long, but uh, how do we know anymore who the good guys and bad guys are when we are bankrolling the guys who mm. are part of Al Qaeda and planning terror operations, and we sit by? Well, gosh, that goes along with some other stories I have. I don't know which one I want to do first. Uh, we'll do this one. <coughs> Israel. Harvest time for Palestinian organs. Uh, this is via The Guardian. Israel has admitted pathologists harvested organs from dead Palestinians and others without the consent of their families, a practice it said it ended in the 1990s. It emerged this, at, at, uh, it emerged this weekend. And this is something that we talked about on the show, I believe, okay. in, a, in a news segment. Uh, the admission by the former head of the country's forensic institute followed a furious row prompted by a Swedish newspaper reporting that Israel was killing Palestinians in order to use their organs, uh, a charge that Israel denied and called anti-Semitic. Notice okay. what happened. They 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 give this charge here, and uh, what happens is they you know mm-hmm. they just don't like Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it turns out, it, and they uh, had evidence. Yeah, yeah, they did. The revelation in the television documentary is likely to generate anger in the Arab and Muslim world and reinforce sinister stereotypes of Israel and its attitude to Palestinians. <laughs> yeah. um, Iran's state-run press TV tonight reported the story illustrated with photographs of dead or badly injured Palestinians. Uh, and there, uh, if you want to do five minutes of searching, you can find these people, and it's just terrible, like, you know, they they survived a kidney. Somebody mm-hmm. took a kidney out of them and chucked them out in the street. So this is, wasn't while they were prisoners or something like that, or they just picked well, up. Well, there's there's various reports. There were certainly certainly while they were prisoners, but there's also yeah. limited reports that that guy, like you know, uh, Bill Jones over there looked looked uh, uh, healthy. So we're just going to drive up in a truck, grab him, cut him open. And then uh, borrow his kidney without returning it, and then chuck him off, mm. you know, another side of town. You know, there have been reports about China doing this, and we thought, what a horrible! That just shows only communists could do something terrible like that. Yeah. But then again, we gave, as we've learned, we we gave plutonium to children in our country. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a. It. I think it's endemic of. Um, makes it hard to be patriotic in any of these countries. Yeah. Well. Uh, and I think this is really a blow to this idea that we need to support Israel no matter what. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, anyway. So you haven't heard them read this story in a lot of other the evangelical shows? Not so many. But right. I don't I don't watch TV. So. Well, I mean, or like radio. Uh, I live in a tent. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Ahmed Tibi, an Israeli Arab MP, said the report incriminated the Israeli army. Yeah, no kidding. The story emerged in an interview with Dr. Yehuda Hiss. I wonder if she's related to Algeria's, former head of the Abu Kabir Forensic Institute near Tel Aviv. The interview was conducted in 2000 by an American academic who released it because of the row between Israel and Sweden over a report in the Stockholm newspaper, Affenbladet. That's my best at Swedish. Okay. Sorry. 
Uh, Channel 2 reported that in the 1990s, specialists at Abu Kabir harvested skin, corneas, heart valves, and bones from the bodies of Israeli soldiers, Israeli citizens, Palestinians, and foreign workers, often without permission from relatives. Now, who did this? Uh, specialists at the Abu Kab- at Abu Kabir Forensic Institute near Tel Aviv. Okay, so this was an Israeli group, but they're taking Israeli people too, as well as Palestinians. If they needed a body organ, anybody not in their circle was fair game. Well, maybe there are more equal opportunity. Yeah. Well, and this gets back to the thing that we were talking about earlier, several months ago, where they busted this whole uh, Orthodox rabbis that were involved in organ smuggling Mm -hmm. and laundering the money with the Jewish mayor and, uh, I think, a state senator Mm -hmm. and a couple other things. Right. The Israeli military confirmed to the program that the practice took place, but added... This activity ended a decade ago and does not happen any longer. Well, hmm. that's tough to believe because they, for, at first they said it didn't exist at all. You're right. And then when they You're were right. caught, caught undeniably in a mm-hmm. lie, then it was hard to, you know, say. His said, we started to harvest corneas. Whatever was done was highly informal. That's actually sort of not true. No permission was asked from the family. Hmm. There you have it. Taking well, corneas, heart valves, bones. People may think we're picking on Israelis on there, and we know other countries do horrible things too. But but no, it also shows just, that we we shouldn't pick favorites in countries because they all do evil things. Yeah, you know, including our own. I think that's I think that's it's incumbent upon us to be able to expose evil wherever it may lay. That's right. I don't and I, don't play favorites. Yeah, I don't I don't think that it's right to. Um, just because, for well, for various reasons, you gloss over certain things that mm-hmm. XYZ person has done. You need to be truthful about it, mm-hmm. even if it hurts. Right. Possibly even especially if it hurts, because right. that means it's bad. That's right. You know. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, um, this one maybe pick us up a little bit. Oh, yeah, I'll bet. Uh, <laughs> Fox News covers mass drugging of society with lithium. Um, in a... Yeah, and this is... Um, the, the the site where I saw listing the story, although it went around on the web, was called blacklistednews.com, which is an interesting website. Mm-hmm. It says in a remarkable Fox News report, uh, Dr. Archelle Georgiou, uh, described as a well-recognized physician leader who cons- uh, helps consumers make better health care decisions, argued the case for adding lithium to the water supply. Georgiou is affiliated with the Center for Health Transformation. <clears throat> an organization founded by the notorious neocon Newt Gingrich. Um, so there's a connection there with mm-hmm. him. Georgiou is also a medical expert for Fox 9 News Minneapolis, where she commented on a proposal to drug people during a segment on healthcare innovations 2009. Uh, lithium in the water supply, America, has been adding fluoride to its public water supplies for decades to help reduce tooth decay. Now researchers from Japan suggest adding to the list with lithium uh, is how Fox News 9 describes the segment. So they're commenting how uh, Japan is wanting to add lithium. Mm-hmm. Giorgio does not explicitly call for adding the mood-stabilizing drug to the water system, as suggested by Japanese researchers. But she does not denounce the proposed practice. Instead, she says the draconian proposal is an, a very interesting concept. Japanese researchers are... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh my God! Might as well just put you know plutonium in there, you know, or yeah, um, you know. 
Uh, Japanese researchers, according to Zhou, are investigating whether trace amounts of lithium can just change the mood in a community enough in a really positive way without having the bad effects of lithium uh, to really affect the mood and decrease the suicide rate. Hmm. Now, if you get that stuff prescribed wrong, it can increase suicide rate. A lot of these, I don't know about lithium, well, but yeah, a lot of the mood-altering It's things. funny you mentioned that. I actually did researching researching some info for one of the ministries I'm involved with. I ran across, across a bunch of info on lithium just mm-hmm. uh, three hours ago, four hours ago. Really? And I guess the way that that works is that you give it to somebody, and science has no idea how it works. It's just that uh, they just know that it does for people who are... Mm-hmm. Who, who need it. And the way that they test that is they give you a little bit, and if it doesn't make you sick, they give you a little more, and give you a little more, and give you a little more, and they go, oh, well, the lithium's working, so we're good. Sounds very sophisticated. Oh, it's 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 totally crazy. <laughs> if you don't, yeah. if you're, if you if lithium's not good for you, they yeah. give you a little bit, and you, like, get really, really sick, and they go, I guess he doesn't need lithium. Hmm. It's totally, it's totally <laughs> screwball. Well, it says, remarkably, Giorgio does not address the moral issue of forcibly drugging a population in a submission. On May 1st, the BBC reported on the Japanese research. Researchers examined levels of lithium in drinking water and suicide rates in the prefecture of Oita, which has a population of more than 1 million. The suicide rate was significantly lower in those areas than the highest, with the highest levels of the element, they wrote in the British Journal of Psychiatry. Scientists are not certain how lithium works in the brain, as you said. Mm-hmm. They're probably quoting you. Uh, lithium, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> lithium increases the amount of neurotransmitters, such as serotonin, which can help stabilize both the manic and depressive sides of the disorder. That's not known, by the way. That's a very good guess, but that's not known conclusively. But the exact method of this is still under investigation, notes Discovery News. Um, Apparently, the unresolved scientific aspects of lithium are not a concern to Japanese research. Research conducted in Texas from 78 to 87 revealed lower incidences of crime, suicide, and arrest when lithium is present in water, according to PubMed. Uh, these results suggest that lithium has moderating effects on suicidal and violent criminal behavior. Well, that last sent, that last couple of sentences there implies that they've already been adding it to water. That's what it suggests. Either that or if it's just for some bizarre reason would have elevated levels. But, yeah, but I don't know of any naturally. natural. It does I, not occur naturally. Yeah, I didn't know of anything yeah. where they just have a... So it sure sounds like that, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Peter D. Kramer, uh, in an article on lithium drinking water, states that there are serious ethical consideration that any plan to drug the populace. The neurotrophic factors seem to protect against psychiatric and neurological disease, but they may also affect personality traits, and that possibility poses ethical dilemmas for any broad-based effort to improve resilience in the brain, Uh, he writes for Dublex. Lithium has well-documented harmful effects. Oh, it's bad. It is known to be responsible for significant amounts of weight gain and reduces the activity of the thyroid. It is also believed to affect renal function. Our water supply already contains dangerous levels of the pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, preliminary, this gets into their commentary. Mm-hmm. Preliminary results from two important federal studies compared the wastewater flowing from sewage plants that handle waste from drug companies and compared them with others that do not. Uh, and this data was reported in, in April. According to the U.S. Geological Survey report, some of the samples contained a range of pharmaceuticals from over-the-counter medications to opiates, barbiturates, and tranquilizers. Some of them at significantly higher concentrations than what were found at other plants. All of this comes down to the mass medication of the public with trace amounts of prescription drugs. In other words, you're drinking tap water that's tainted with these drugs. You're getting a little bit of Prozac whether you like it or not, says Mike Adams. Uh, Drinking water has been polluted with fluoride for decades. The often cited reason was uh, forgiven as forcible drugging 
is that fluoride prevents tooth decay. Uh, numerous studies prove otherwise. Uh, in Tucson, Arizona, uh, 92, 26,000 elementary school students produced empirical evidence that just the opposite. The more fluoride a child consumes, the more cavities appear. And according to chemist Charles Perkins, um, fluoride is added to the water supply because in time it reduces an individual's power to resist domination by incrementally poisoning and narcotizing a certain area of the brain, thus making an individual submissive to the will of those who wish to govern him. This is precisely why the Nazis forced concentration camp internees to ingest fluoride. Uh, America's liberating of POW camps at the end of World War II discovered stockpiles of fluoride stored near water supplies. When they asked what the fluoride was used for, they were told that the Germans used the substance as an additive to the prisoners' water to make them docile. Uh, in conclusion here, it says, researchers in Japan and Dr. Archel Giorgio may, be a- may believe adding lithium to drinking water is beneficial to society, never mind the unresolved scientific issues of the drug and the immorality of forcible drugging. But there's a larger context here. Adding fluoride and lithium to drinking water is an effective way to subdue and narcotize the population, especially during times of social and political upheaval. Like eugenicist rulers are not perturbed by crime and suicide in society, uh, like the Nazis, they are primarily interested in rendering the masses docile and making certain they are unable to resist the draconian plans. Wow. Including an engineered crash on the economy. Well, I really got to get this one out. Okay. I, uh, there's just so much Sorry, bad stuff going on. Go yeah, it's okay. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, I'll just, I'll just do a couple sentences here. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, uh, are doing secret detention via the nation. Uh, if you don't have enough evidence to charge someone criminally, but you think he's illegal, we can make him disappear. Those chilling words were spoken by James Pendergraf, then Executive Director of Immigration and Customs Enforcement Office at State and Local Coordinate, Office of State and Local Coordination, at a conference of police and sheriffs in August 2008. Also present was Amnesty International's Sarnata Reynolds, who wrote about the incident in the 2009 report, Jailed Without Justice, and said in an interview, It was almost surreal being there, particularly being someone from an organization that has worked on disappearances for decades in other countries. I couldn't believe he would say it so boldly, as though it weren't, as though it were anything wrong. Pendergrass knew that ICE could disappear people because he knew that in addition to the publicly listed field offices and detention sites, ICE is also confining people in 186 unlisted and unmarked subfield offices, many in suburban office parks or commercial spaces, revealing no information about their ICE tenants. And now, I was, ICE is the immigration group. Immigration and customs enforcement. Right. So uh, what they're talking about is grabbing people off the street that they think might be illegal, but they can't prove and then detaining them illegally in a secret detention with no running water. Uh, the article goes on and on, with no running water, with no, uh, sometimes with no toilet, uh, you know, no access to counsel, nothing like that. You know, our friend that came on about the detention uh, centers for the CIA, he ought might, to write a book on that. He might be an interesting guy to have back and talk, mm-hmm, to, talk right. about this. You know, that coupled, and it doesn't look like we'll have time to get to it, but we just had last week the... You know, I don't know if anybody's looked at this, but the uh, Supreme Court has struck down due process, basically, right. uh, making it making it uh, if you are deemed a terrorist, now you no longer have uh, an inalienable right to due process law. Which now they want to declare us terrorists, mm-hmm. they believe. So I assume that will happen to us as well too. That's good because I go. believe even domestic people they said would be yes have that happen to them and, too. And that was, I think, even the point of the lawsuit. Although I can't. I can't. I'm not a constitutional well, expert. When you get in a hurry to uh, get those uh, 
terrorists from Guantanamo and put them in secret mm-hmm. military tribunals. Just think about when you're labeled a terrorist. Yep. What what will you want then? Mm-hmm. You know? It's 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 a literal fulfillment of mm-hmm. you know what Pastor Niemöller wrote in in right. the forties. You know, That's so right. Sad. Uh, Merv, would you come in and tell our listeners how to contact us here at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Futurians, email us your predictions for 2010 so we can read them on air for our annual prediction show. But be sure to get them to us before January 5th. I'm sorry we got to go. I wish let's, I had a little more time for that. Yeah. Uh, that. That story, why don't we make that the headline for next week? Okay, well, that that okay. story is actually at the blog, the Future Quick Radio yeah. blog. I okay. put it up there. Which people should go anyway. Yeah. we got to go. We've got a great new guest for next week. But until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake.